John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film, except this time we're entering the world of a great creative mind. We'd lost the great Stan Lee at 95 just a few days ago, and John and I felt his influence is so strong yeah. that we couldn't go on without giving taking some time to talk about the universe that he created. Yeah, especially because of so much of what his work was influenced you and me in different ways i think and some and a lot of similar ways as well um just the lessons in the stanley stories that he told the lessons in the characters that he created the socially forward progressive approach to comics that people maybe didn't understand or know and all of that needs to be remembered and lauded oh and oh yeah he created incredible characters for people to love and adore and now over the last 10 years, we've really seen the explosion of appreciation for the work he's done through the Marvel movies and the Marvel TV shows on Netflix. I think, and this is going to sound crazy, yeah. but I've been th- so I don't think Stan Lee is the greatest writer of all time. No. I think he is a, a perfectly good writer. Mm-hmm. I think he is one of the greatest character creators of all time, yes. without question. Yeah. But as I've been thinking about his legacy, I think he just has to be one of the most influential creators of all time. And I'm going to say something totally insane. 
And I'm not making a comparison exactly, mm -hmm. but in a way, to our society today, I think he is as influential as William Shakespeare. I think that is an absolute apt comparison to make. And again, I'm not saying he can write like Shakespeare. That no. is not what I'm saying at all. No, but you can point to his characters or point to the philosophy of his characters in the same way that you can with a lot of characters in Shakespeare. Well, and the influence of mm -hmm. what he did. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, it's like, you know, the Beatles coming to America and Stan Lee's era, that 1960s creative boom of yeah. Marvel Comics. Yeah. Like, it's so huge in terms of the film industry, the television industry, the video game industry. I mean, so many people were inspired by him, and we are still taking those characters forward today. You could say that he has influenced what we have now. Like, from the beginning, of course, there was comics, DC comics, yeah. and there were Batman stuff and black and white way back when, all of that. But Marvel just had a, had a different approach to it all. And we've seen this in numerous venues that... Being the counter to what was already there is never easy, and creating your own identity just as powerfully as the first thing that came along is never easy, but Marvel was able to do it, and it it's something you come back to over and over and over again. DC's a different animal, Marvel is a different animal, but Marvel influenced so much from when we were kids, it tapped into us as children uh, step by step, piece by piece, and now even more so that we as adults now can do movies, can do TV shows, and then do what I do, which is be on a network and talk about it right. Your every whole career. day. My whole career right now is based off comic books and superhero stuff and film and movie stuff. So, like, but a large part of it is Stanley and Marvel right now. Well, I think the invention of geek culture. Yeah. It comes from Stan Lee because if you look at yes. if you look at there's uh, no one you point to in DC that rivals Stan Lee. Well, because when DC was making comics in the in the late 30s and 40s and 50s, mm -hmm. and 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 Stan Lee, by the way, which is amazing, he was working in comics in the 40s too. Yeah, like he started as just an assistant grabbing coffee for Joe Simon and uh, Jack Kirby when they're making Captain America right right from the beginning. Like his very first stories at like 20 years old or mm -hmm. was was writing a little two pager for Captain America. So he was there at this beginning time, but the basic idea at the big golden age boom of comics was that this was kid stuff. Yeah. You know, that these were throwaway stupid things right. that little kids liked. And the expectation was that by about 10 or 11 or 12, they'd stop. Right. And what Stanley does in Marvel Comics was he understands and writes to the fact that, oh no, actually teenagers are going to like these. Yeah. And grownups are going to like these because the world we're in today, the reason that every all this is happening is because there are 40, 50-year-old men like yeah. you and I yeah. who still love this stuff. Yeah. And somehow Stan Lee understood that in the early 60s. Well, you never stop being a child. I think that's the thing yeah. that I think is really important to understand. We This movement of never letting go of the youthful innocence of the world, we have really focused on that generationally over the last 50 years. And Stan Lee, I think you cannot discount his influence in that as well because we want to create a more idealistic world that we remember as kids being told was the best thing in the world. And those comics show that acceptance, uh, equality, um, uh, fighting for what's right, fighting against evil, the Nazis, what have you. It's all there in these Marvel comics and in Stan Lee's stories and his creations, and that's really important. Well, I think I think he does two things, because I think he does, or maybe three. He does exactly that, mm. and then what he also does, you know, there's this moment, it's, it's in the 50s, after the Comics Code has come out, after the uh, corruption of the innocent and all of this stuff about comics comes out, yeah. and he's writing all of these... He's doing romance books and Western books and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And he's ready to quit. 
He is done. He is sick of comic books. And his wife tells him, this is this is the legend, whether or yeah. not it's true, I don't know. Why don't you write one that you that's what you want to write before you quit? Yeah. And he goes, Well, I might as well. No one cares. And and he goes, I want to come up with characters who are human. Yeah. As opposed to like if you looked at Superman and Batman through right. the forties and fifties, right. they're like cardboard cutout good guys. Mm-hmm. And he says, I want people with problems that argue and that have insecurities and anger and all this stuff and that's where the fantastic four comes from yep. that's the very first book so he does this thing of totally harkening back to the kid stuff as you say but then also bringing in a more adult human uh, sensibility to yeah. it you know and that and that carries through is that the you know is that the big thing is that clark kent was a secret identity for the most perfect guy in the world superman right peter parker is the real dude yeah you know that's a kid with insecurities and mm-hmm. nervousness and wants to meet girls and is frustrated about this and his relationship with Aunt May and all that stuff. Yeah. That's the person. And then he gets to become Spider-Man. Which is which is nerds to a T. Absolutely. This idea of 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 being kind of out of place, being a nerd. He's a science guy. He's not a football player. In fact, no. the football player Flash is kind of a jerk. Yeah, and so, you know, it's these reversals of these tropes and cliches that we have been fed in media from on, on numerous levels, from from books to movies to TV, that being the nerd is being uncool, being the nerd is you can't get the girl, being the nerd, blah, blah, blah. And Stan Lee is here going, no, no, the nerd can be really funny. Yeah, he's still a good-looking skinny kid, but... He's a nerdy kid. He's still funny and still can be uh, still have problems that you can relate to and understand. And that's that's so powerful. Well, it it, it certainly is a fantasy of like, wouldn't it be cool if I got bit by a radioactive spider and climb on walls and be super strong? But it's not a it's not a pure like Superman is perfect. Right. Spider-Man is still dealing with the stuff. And carrying the Uncle Ben death. Oh, yeah. Right. Clark never killed anybody. Clark. It weeps for the death of his planet, right? But, but, uh, uh, but Peter, Peter didn't save Uncle Ben. That is huge. Batman's even Batman is not complicit in the death of his parents because he he's is still kid. Too, he's yeah. a kid. He, yeah. What is he going to do? But Peter is because Peter could have stopped the guy who ended up killing his his Uncle Ben, and that's massive. I think that's a fantastic point because. Batman's basic motivation is revenge. Yes. Here is this thing that bad guys did. I must destroy bad guys. Peter's basic motivation is guilt. Yes. And and, and it's interesting too. I just I know again. I made already made a William Shakespeare comparison. Mm-hmm. So making a Victor Hugo comparison isn't that bad oh, big deal. He, but, belo- but, he belongs in that conversation. But in Les Miserables, one of my favorite. See, I did the little Frenchy accent there. I didn't. I don't think I. I don't think I pulled it <laughs> You're off. You're so well. snooty. I didn't. Yes. Do it. I, it was a fail. But um, Les Mis. Just say Les Mis. In Les Mis. <laughs> One of the most amazing, profound moments of that story is that Jean Valjean, a criminal who's just going to, he's on his way to being a terrible person. Yes. And he steals the silver from the best man in the world from this bishop. And the bishop says, when he gets caught and they say, hey, did this guy steal your silver? And he's like, oh, no, I gave it to him. He forgot. I also gave this and gives him the rest of the silver. Right. And that gesture turns Jean Valjean from a bad guy into I'm going to be I have to do everything I can for good. Right. You know? Right. And so and and that's this prof and I think that is Uncle Ben's death and the phrase mm-hmm. with great power comes great responsibility. Right. And that carries through all the characters that he created. Absolutely. Every single one. And it's important because that's an adult approach to the world, right? Whereas Superman is trying to do the right thing. Batman is trying is is revenge, like you said. Uh, you know, even Wonder Woman is not a human being; she's a goddess. And so, those are the—they're all kind of some somewhat outsiders right. who are trying to save humanity or save the world. Stanley, and I think it's a great point you bring up, Steve. Stanley wanted these people 
that are already in the pit of humanity to kind of find a way out with their powers. And it's really important. And, and X-Men can't be uh, overstated about how important that is as well as, as a connection to Stanley and Marvel. And it's such a powerful, uh, I say powerful all the time, people call me out on it, but like it's such an Listen, important... Listen, you, you talk for hours and hours every day. <laughs> These are the words of the English true, language. True. You're going to repeat them. I think it's an important thing to to... To, to note as well because once again these are people that acquire or are born with certain things once again are you born with it or are you, or are you not born with it right that conversation comes in through the X-Men as well and because you're born with it why are you different everyone is born with something positive and possibly something that could be a flaw what are you going to use to do what in life to do good or evil in life and that's that's so powerful through, um, that's so i'm sorry that's so essential to the characters that stanley creates um do you know once uh, someone pointed out to me that i said inevitably inevitably and i say particularly instead of <laughs> inevitably and particularly and i spent years yeah try and i still do them both <laughs> And and sometimes I've noticed that I will actually slow down talking if one of those two words is coming oh, up yeah. because I'm oh like don't say particularly mm -hmm. say particularly, um, yeah no you, and you get in your head you can't you get in your head you do um uh, I think the the interesting thing too is that one of the things that Stanley is concerned with is sacrifice yeah is that it's not just that. Peter Parker thinks with great power comes great responsibility. It means making the choice to do the right thing means yeah. hurting himself. Yes. Over and over and over yeah. again, which again is a thing you don't really see with Superman. Now, now once Marvel, these Marvel changes came along in the 60s, DC adapted too, and we yeah. get lots. Of, it's not that there aren't great comic books that come out of DC. There are. Sure, of course. But 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 this this is the revolution. Yeah. And, and the other thing I wanted to point out, and you look at it with all the characters, all of them come with a cost. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Incredible Hulk. I mean, that's like, you know, yeah. a hugely tragic Looks story. Like a, a nerdy scientist. Nerdy scientist. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, the, look, there are a lot of geniuses in yeah. the Marvel Universe. Yeah. It's not that... Well, like, one of the interesting things I love is that uh, he understood how to structure story yep. in terms of setup. So you have these great characters, and then you set up villains where you have the relationship. So it's Professor X, Magneto. Right. It's Reed Richards, Doctor Doom. Yep. You know, it's Thor and Loki. Is that their character... And those are characters where... They like these are friends mm -hmm. and that's or what, family or family. And that's what makes it emotional yeah. is that it's not just fighting the bad guy. It is fighting someone. And that like in the case of Magneto, when the really good stories of him, you feel for that guy. Yeah. You, you understand his perspective. Well, that's the universal thing, isn't it, Steve? Who doesn't fight with a family member? Who doesn't have one person in their family or friend that all of a sudden becomes an enemy in your life or someone who's not you had been so close but some event or something happens and all of a sudden you're not friends with that person anymore and nothing can seem to repair that and so you're on opposite sides because there's not that bridging moment and you're right but what stanley shows is both sides of it you know why because humanity is both sides of it yep. it's a really interesting thing when's the last time you felt bad for apocalypse or right. for any of the like any of the villains in the dc universe it's really rare even the joker and the killing joke only gets one panel right. where you can feel somewhat sympathy for him and then that's it and and so it's really rare and i that's what i really enjoy about uh uh, uh the marvel universe and you can compare it to make just a little bit of a connection to the WWE in terms of wrestling, pro wrestling, it's the same thing. 
faces heels, but sometimes heels turn faces, faces turn heels, but you understand the reasons why and the storylines why, and you can find moments to sympathize with them so that when they turn back the other way, you get it. And it's the same thing here with uh, the sta- with uh, Marvel characters. Well, it gets even better when we get into team books, because if you looked at, mm. at early, I mean, if you go way back to the Justice Society of America, right, or, you go, or, or you go look at early Justice League, these are all good people who yep. all like each other, they're all fighting together. Yes. You look at the X-Men. Yeah. These people have problems. Constant battle between each other. Constant battle who should be leading. Mm-hmm. Who and, and then a relationship issues, triangles, whatever. Uh, and then their own personal demons because every mutant, uh, almost every mutant, at least initially, initially uh, received their power and had it be a negative in their life. You know, Scott Summers was blowing things up in high school with his eyes. Jean Grey was reading people's minds and felt like she was violating their minds. Things of that nature. The beast becoming this big furry blue beast. Who wants to be that? You know, or the thing. That kind of stuff is. And these people, they come with pain. Yeah, with pain. And then, and then, of course, we see them heal each other to some degree. Yeah, through their experience of becoming X Men. And of course, we have to say, like I I believe Stan Lee's original idea for doing X Men was to do a character about African Americans, right? Because he wanted to deal with outsiders, and then he decided that no he was better off doing a metaphor mm-hmm. and that gives and that and, and i think that's actually very smart because we're all feel like outsiders yeah, yeah, yeah you know um the other thing i wanted to say is that while i don't think stanley is the greatest writer or, or great, even greatest comic book writer of all time he he might very well be one of the greatest managers of talent yeah and we cannot talk about stanley without giving the massive huge credit to jack kirby yeah. his partner in creating and of course steve ditko and some other people ditko, as yeah. well but kirby in particular one of the greatest artists of all time and the way that they work together and this is, became known as the marvel way which is the uh there are two different ways to do uh, a comic book because i tried to break in as a comic book writer a long time ago mm-hmm. and one of them is to write a full script and that's like every single detail panel one this happens panel two this happens these are all the dialogue and in that sense the writer is being uh the first big creative person on the project Mm -hmm. the other way which is the marvel way stan's writing like four or five comic books a month or six or seven or eight or nine so he would go to jack kirby and say well pages one through three they have a conversation about this and pages two through five the rocket launches and pages six through eight we're gonna have a big fight scene with so-and-so and so there'd be like a page of information about the story and then really jack would make up the whole thing yeah and then stan would come back in and fill in all the dialogue and so in that sense i mean jack kirby you just can't give the guy enough credit right but as time went on and through the 70s stan is now managing a whole bunch of writers and a whole bunch of artists and keeping them going in the right and finding these amazing talented people to come work on these projects yeah 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 I think that's a great point, Stephen. Uh, you know, it's not just uh, becoming a face, a name, or a, uh, a representative of the company that you're in. It's finding the people who are going to keep that company going after you're gone. And, I, you know, we've seen Marvel dip up and down, especially right before the MCU took off, a little before the M- Marvel took I mean, you could have bought for pennies on the dollar all these properties and franchises oh, yeah. and that's some that those are the ebbs and flows but things work out in a positive way when you're having when you're pushing a positive message and i think that's why we, what we see now with the mcu is so integral to our society and so important and i know people push back and say oh it's superhero movies oh they're ruining theater they're ruining films rather blah 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 all this kind of stuff i'm but one of those people sometimes you are but well not that they're ruining it just what? just i want there to be other stuff well that's fair yeah. Uh, and I understand the criticism, 
my thing is though, if these films were showing you people that weren't human going through shit, totally agree. then I would absolutely agree. If it was Sylvester Stallone or Schwarzenegger with their vehicles ruling the box office constantly, then I could see there being issues. But these all these Marvel movies, because of what Stanley and Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko did with their creations, come with angst and real problems, real issues, real depth, and that's what makes people come back and over and over again and watch it uh, to the levels that they do. I'm for billions of dollars. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you have to ask the question, like, would there be Star Wars without Stan Lee? No. I don't know if there would be. Nope. I, are there probably, maybe there would be Harry Potter. Um, I don't know. I don't, no, I don't think so. But man. I think the, the, that what he did by moving comics into the consciousness of all, mm -hmm. and one of the interesting things he did was sometime in the, I think it's the 80, mid-80s, he said, I'm moving to California to start a studio. Yeah. And that's where all those Marvel cartoons started coming from. Yeah. Because he had the vision that these characters are going to go, now, he wasn't the guy in charge when they finally really, really went to the movies. Yeah. But there were other people that did that. And that's the other thing is that when you look at the list of characters he created, they continue to inspire artists to do more stuff. Yep. I mean, the list goes, I mean, he didn't invent Thor and Loki, but decided that that was going to be a character. We've already talked about the X-Men. Mm -hmm. He didn't create Captain America. He brought Captain America back with right. Jack Kirby. There's Incredible Hulk, which we've talked about. But then there's also Daredevil, probably my favorite Marvel character, yeah. who I just, I love Daredevil. Mm -hmm. Then there's uh, Silver Surfer and Galactus and that whole world. Yeah. There's and, and if you look at all of the villains and all of the characters on the team the huge number of x-men of avengers i mean the amount of creation this guy did that we're still mining yeah. is amazing yeah absolutely yeah so we just wanted to take some time to talk about the great stan lee and now we're going to go back to the only marvel movie we've done so far <laughs> which is 2008's iron man and of course the reason we haven't done more of the marvel movies is because of our 10-year rule but guess what yeah they're going to start coming yeah um i'd also like to go back and do the first x-men i think yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. X-Men and X2, I think, would yeah. be fun for us to explore and do. Not X3. Not X3. No, no. nobody cares about Last Stand. Um, uh, but eventually, we'll, we'll start getting towards some of these and break our rules, possibly, as as this could happen. Because there's a lot of good... Yeah. I think around 2010 and 11 is where the good, really good Marvel movie starts yes. to hit. Agreed. And I would definitely like to do that. But for now, we're going to take you back to the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Robert Downey Jr., Jean Favreau, Iron Man. Truth is, I am Iron Man. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, its history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. And this one got a lot of influence. It really does, yeah. and I'm very happy that we're talking about it, Steve. Yeah, my name is Steve Morris. I'm a <laughs> filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hi, I'm John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, host, and actor here in Los Angeles. Apparently, people are upset that I'm saying, and occasionally an actor. They're I like, am. Own it. And I'm, I'm, like, oh, I'm upset. I'm well, well, you know, I understand your definition, which <laughs> yes. is your definition is... A professional actor must be working professionally constantly, yeah. constantly, and you don't feel like you reach that level. No. But I know you. Yes. You can fucking act. And you are <laughs> well, therefore you. an actor. That's very kind of you. You know, you. like yeah. like the, the, the sad, insidious, and chaotic world of Hollywood's approval does not change who you are. Wow. That's my opinion. This, I, I love that. 
Please, someone record that and like save that as an inspirational thing for yourself and me. <laughs> I would appreciate that. That's awesome. Um, so so uh, today we're talking about a film, uh, and we're actually going to break our rules for the first time. Um, this is monumental. Yes. This is huge. Um, the, the film is Iron Man. Yes. And... Uh, and it was made in 2008 or released in 2008. <sighs> yeah. And our rule up to this point has been the film has to be 10 years old. Right. And I thought this was a good chance, particularly for those of you who maybe are new to the podcast, to kind of explain how we came up with this rules. And then we can kind of say why, sure. why, why we broke them. Sounds good. Um, in this case. And it's that this all goes back to us having lunch one day mm-hmm. at Wood Ranch Barbecue at the Grove. <laughs> plug, plug, plug. Plug. <laughs> Send us some free meals. Please. Um, and uh, we were talking about what we wanted to do as a podcast. And one of the first things we said was we wanted to do something that was positive. Yeah. Like we don't want to, you know, there's so many, there are a lot of terrible movies and there's a lot of good reason to tear them down. Yeah. But I, I didn't want to do that. You yeah. know, I want to do something positive. And we also didn't want to do something that was current because there's so many great podcasts, including a bunch that you do. Thank you. That talk about current movies and what's out now and, yeah. and analyzing them just to death. We wanted movies that sort of had stood the test of time. And mm-hmm. that's how we kind of created this 10 year rule. Well, that was always because because we would always talk about films that were older. Yeah. And we would get into it and, and really explore the themes and the idea like this. This podcast is basically us having a lunch conversation. And Absolutely. So, and so this, it just was brought out from there so we wanted to limit it to films that we absolutely adore respect and love and have appreciated over time right and so you can't really do that with a film that came out three years ago or two years ago and we kind of arbitrarily a, a film what two two ten years before out before right. 2017 so we well and that's that way that's the key rule yeah. thing is we picked a time arbitrarily yeah we did yeah and the other rules just so you know is when we have guests on they're not here to talk about their own work right because there's again there's so many great podcasts where you hear people movie stars and producers and directors and writers endlessly talking about their own stuff yeah. and that's great mm-hmm. but we wanted to do a movie just as this is a podcast about what inspires us yeah we wanted to hear what inspires everyone else right and for them to talk about what they love yeah you know so the, the, those are our main our main rules mm-hmm. and the reason we're breaking it is that uh, comic-con is coming up yes it is the mecca for all things geek mm-hmm. and we were thinking about what film could we talk about that really relates to that mm-hmm. And 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 the reason we wanted to do this and why we think it's worth breaking our rules yeah. is that Iron Man launches the Marvel Cinematic Universe and there really might not be anything more important in film to the way movies are made today than Iron Man. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's really changed the whole summer season. Like the tent poles are now superhero films, right? Yep. I mean, we'd had X-Men, we'd had Superman, we'd had Batman going back to 89, we'd had Superman back to 78, and we'd had these other films that had come up. But Iron Man launches an entire universe, right? Yeah. So there's more here, and there have been so many films that have come off this. And the DC people, DCU people, saw what Iron Man did and said, "Okay, we're going to relaunch ours." So it's just, it just kind of a lot kind of blossomed from this one film being incredibly successful that people did not know was going to be successful. No, as no, much not it was. Yeah, yeah. Not, no one expected it yeah, to be this exactly, successful. Exactly. Um, so. In order to get into this, normally I'd ask you how you first came to the film. Right. But I want to ask you, how did you first come to Marvel Comics and Iron Man? Oh, gosh. Yeah, that was being a kid growing up in a small town of Virginia in Dale City. Um, I used to go to the comic book shop all the time over in Woodbridge and in, uh, in uh, Marumsco Plaza. I would go over there. And uh, Dark Knight Returns was my first comic that I, I ever just can't read. Believe that is like, you start at, at one of the top five comic books of all time. <laughs> it was so random because like I and had heavy. I mean, and, that's yeah, a that's heavy. What I'm saying, you know, I was I was 15 years old at the time, and I had seen I had like of 
course, read st- comic strips, but it wasn't the same thing, right? And I had not collected comics. So when I did that, I went in there and I started. And so I was like, I need more. So then I started reading Iron Man and Spider-Man and X-Men. So that was the, at the entry point was Dark Knight Returns. And then that from there, because we would meet in the back of the comic book shop every Saturday <laughs> for like three hours. There was a group that would just all sit there after they closed the comic book shop. And we would just read. No one would say anything, hardly anything, and you would just sit there and read a bunch of nerds sitting around reading comic books for three hours. It was great. You it's, could read whatever you wanted. It's so funny, because for, <laughs> for those of you who are, are non-nerd listeners, yes. and I'm assuming we have at least a couple, at least um, that, that you don't know the joy of the back of the comic book store, yep. or that world that you just described, I, can, I literally can smell it. Yeah. You know? And see all the stacks of all the comic stacks, books and sitting just around. be yeah. so excited of yeah. like, oh my God, I could be here all day and read. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, I I'd always get the call my mom going okay it's time to come home she would call the comic book shop and they'd have to pick up at that point I'd I love that but it I was great that. yeah um, so for me uh, I've already told my story of how I got into comic books yes. on the Superman episode so mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into the whole thing here because for those of you who haven't heard it I think you should go back and listen to the <laughs> Superman episode with our guest Michael Vogel it's a fantastic episode absolutely one of our very first ones we ever did um, but I will say my dad introduced me to comic books but he introduced me to DC comics uh, so yeah, right. I read Superman Batman all that stuff Mm-hmm. And I only saw a couple of Marvel comics every once in a while because that was what was at the 7-Eleven or whatever. Right. And so I didn't really know them until maybe the mid-80s. And the, my intro to Marvel was really the Frank Miller Daredevil series. Yes. Which is still one of the great runs in comics, I bar still, none. I still have the first issue of every one of those. It was they're, so fantastic. They're so good. Yeah. They're amazing. Mm-hmm. And that kind of led me into starting to explore other comics. And then in 1988, I got a job working at a comic book store. <laughs> and lucky so bastard. I was actually... Working at that place <laughs> where people were coming in to read all day, and yeah. when no one was in the store, I just read. So I started on Spider Man number one and read them all up yeah. to that point. I read all the X Men. I read. I just read and read and read. And I'll tell you, Iron Man was pretty far down on the list. Yes, it was. Yeah, and, and only because Stark is not really an appealing character. They took the billionaire like narrative from Batman, but they gave him they gave him all this. They made him an asshole. They made him yeah. a womanizer. They made him like a drunk, a drunk. Right there, the whole alcoholic storyline. There's so much about him that wasn't necessarily something you gravitate to. Plus, he's so he's so just kind of good with the with the goatee and the beard, and he was always so aloof and critical and cocky. Yeah. It wasn't something that you gravitated to as strong as you would with Batman or Superman. Well, and we should talk a little bit about how he comes to be. So he's yeah. created by created officially by Stanley. Yes. And Stanley alone. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the great one of the two great crimes in comic book history. The other one being Bill Finger yes. and Bob Kane. Bill Finger is the person who really co-created Batman with Bob Kane. Bob Kane has gotten all the money over the years. Yeah. Bill Finger has gotten nothing. Yes. And the other person is Jack Kirby. And Jack right. Kirby is the really the co-creator of basically all those Marvel titles, Hulk, Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, although he didn't draw the original Spider-Man, he was mm-hmm. involved in it. And he's one of the great geniuses. And he, along with Don Heck and, and, and Stan Lee, created Iron Man. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things we can say about Stan Lee is that he really understood something about where comics could go. Because they were pretty stale in the late 50s and early 60s and really not interesting. And he created all these characters that were flawed and had conflicts and had Mm. personal stories. You know, Superman didn't really have personal stories. Batman, I mean, they would have a girlfriend. Yeah. But you weren't emotionally involved in their lives in the way that you suddenly were in Spider-Man and the X-Men and all these characters Mm. that that Stan Lee created, along with Jack Kirby. Right. (laughs) And and that's really different. And that's where we get Mm. this asshole 
womanizing rich guy yeah but what's interesting so i kind of stopped reading comics in the mid 90s i I was in film school Mm -hmm. i was out of money and i was like i finally had to go cold turkey Mm -hmm. which was really hard me too man um it's just like i I was buying so many and i just couldn't do it anymore giving up the folder is one of the toughest things you ever have to do the pull folder it sucks yeah Yeah, it's it's brutal and uh uh and apparently and it's after that when warren ellis took over as the writer of iron man and did a a comic which i haven't read Mm -hmm. called extremist Extremist, Extremist, um that that's really where the modern version of Iron Man comes from and then he does become a really big character yeah. after I had read Marvel yeah. and so there's been these other fairly successful Marvel uh, movies there was X-Men which was at Sony mm-hmm. there was the Spider-Man movies which are also there at Sony as well no the X-Men is at Fox Fox yeah uh, Iron Man Sony Spider-Man Sony oh, Spider-Man rather yeah and uh, and then we go okay let's let's make this Iron Man film and the first person we have to talk about because he's now like the most powerful guy in Hollywood yeah. Kevin Feige yeah. yeah Kevin Feige wow what a thing and it was his own studio yeah. Right? He was not affiliated with any other studio. It was Marvel Studios. They produced it. They did this thing out of the box, just yep. knocking it out of the box and casting Robert Downey Jr. coming off all the stuff that Robert Downey Jr. had come off of. And a lot of people don't remember this. You know? Yeah. What, which, what were you going to say? No, I was, that, that oh, yeah, was okay, exactly great. what I was going to Okay, yeah. Say. A lot of people don't remember this, but Robert Downey Jr. struggled a lot with uh, addiction. He hit all through the night. He was a heralded actor in the 80s. Absolutely. And he really, like, if you go see Chaplin, go rewatch Chaplin. The movie isn't 100% great in holding up, but his performance is fantastic as Charlie Chaplin. And so, but he got into addiction. He went through this whole process. He's the son of a filmmaker, Robert Downey Sr. And so there was a lot that went in with him. Who's also an addict. Who's also an addict, Who apparently right. gave him drugs at eight. Wow, jeez. And there you go. So don't yeah. be surprised if your kid gets addicted. And so uh, he struggled with this a lot. And he went through some incredibly uh, public uh, breakdowns and situations with some uh, in- like some very difficult people to know that he was in communication with. He was palling around with, uh, you know, but that's what happens with addiction. All of a sudden you're riding high and the next thing you know, you're down naked, running through the streets. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, by a, a, a seedy area of town out of a hotel. And so there was a lot that went around with Robert Downey Jr. And people always kept championing him and trying to get his recovery because they knew he had the potential. And he finally climbed out of it thanks to his wife and friends. And one of the things I remember the most is when I read that GQ article or Esquire article, whatever it was, about him before Iron Man came out, he said, I just want to let every actor know from my generation, I'm back and I'm coming to get my things. And I was like, oh, oh, oh wow. shit. And Damn if he didn't do it in this movie. Um, so I'm not going to put this in, but I'll tell you, that is so much better than what I was going to tell a story. <laughs> and what you just did is like a million times better okay. than what I was going to do. All right. Because, uh, yeah, that was yeah. great. Uh, that was awesome. Um, and, yeah, so he, he comes back. And, and after many, many, oh, we're going to try to get sober, we're going to try yep. to get sober. Finally, he does. Yep. And he has, you know, a few really good roles particularly like kiss kiss bang kiss, bang. kiss bang bang is fantastic yeah yeah, yeah. it's just a great movie and then we cast him in iron man yeah which i remember hearing about it, and i'm like you couldn't have better cast right you know but there's no way a major studio would have taken nope. this chance no nope. well for years no one would even insure him yep. like they couldn't make movies because you couldn't get a bond on him which means yeah that we're going to insure him because nobody trusted him yeah like when he did um singing detective i think with mel that's gibson right. mel gibson put up the money himself out of his own pocket <laughs> You know, but that's so people believe in you, man. They believe in you. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and well, I mean, the guy's unquestionably a genius. Yep, and I'm, apparently incredibly charming. 
Oh, I, well, I mean, watch this movie. I know what I'm saying. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Um, John Favreau is the director, and John Favreau, who you know comes out of indie films and swingers mm-hmm. and doing comedy, and this is one of the really smart things I think about Marvel, which is that instead of going for the big actiony directors, they've consistently gone for directors who understand writing yeah. and understand actors. Kenneth Branagh, Joss Whedon. Yes, I mean these are people, the Russo brothers. The Russo yeah. brothers. Yeah. These are people who like they because they go look. If, it's working with the actors in the script that's a problem. We can hire people that can handle special effects and action sequences yeah. and do them great. The heart, and, and this is, I think, really key is that in attracting great actors, I mean, actors will do stuff for a paycheck. Sure. Without question. But you won't get great performances out of them. Mm-hmm. And we actually have really great performances from Robbie Downey Jr. and Jeff Bridges in this movie. Oh, my God. This yeah. is one of my favorite Jeff Bridges performances ever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how can the, the dude play Obadiah Stane? It's just fantastic acting all yeah. around. He's so menacing. Yeah. Oh. He's, 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 he's like huge and dangerous. He's, right? And you're like, what is, where's this where's Jeff Bridges dude? been? Yeah, where's the dude? Exactly. Um, well, let's get in the mood. <clears throat> sure, definitely. So we start in Afghanistan. Yes. We're in a convoy. We're in the back of a Humvee. Uh, Tony's got a nice glass of scotch. Yeah. Nice crystal glass. I feel like you're going to pull over and snuff me. What, you're not allowed to talk? Hey, Forrest. We can talk, sir. Oh. I see, so it's personal. No, you intimidate them. Good God, you're a woman. I honestly, I couldn't have called that. I mean, I'd apologize, but isn't that what we're going for here? I thought of you as a soldier first. I'm an airman. But you have actually excellent bone structure there. I'm kind of having a hard time not looking at you now. Is that weird? (laughs) (laughs) This is interesting, Steve, rewatching it for the show. Because once again, it's 2008. This is not even, this is less than a decade ago, but it feels a bit uncomfortable, that beginning. He's like... He's objectifying the female driver. He's trying to be smooth with everybody, but he's being a real jerk. He's kind of really, uh, kind of a jerk, you know. And well, he, I, he's I unquestionably think, a I jerk. I remember when I, when I watched it, though, I thought, "Oh, he's funny. He's being funny." It was done for laughs. But now our culture is changing. I think our pop culture, mainstream pop culture, is changing, and we're becoming more aware of these kinds of things. And I think that opening scene, I'm just a little bit like, "Oh, okay, all right." Well, I think but this maybe is, it's done on purpose. I don't know. Th- well, that's what I was going to say. Okay. Is like what we, but what, what I think is always important to separate is. What is the movie and the director and the film saying? Yeah. And what is a character saying? There's yeah. no problem with, I have no problem with a character being a sexist, racist asshole in a movie. Right. And that, in this movie, he, I think you're supposed to, because this is before his transformation. Right. It's a good point. He's supposed to be a jerk. Yeah. It still and, is weird. I guess. I mean, you're he right. is a charming jerk. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. people, because what's interesting is people eat him, eat it up. Yeah. They do. You know, and yeah. I mean, I can't imagine any other public figure who acts like a jerk that people love. <laughs> But um, <laughs> but it, I mean, but it seems to work in this film. You slid it in there, yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so so we're driving yeah. off. The the people, the the army people are just really like him and yeah. laughing at his jokes, and yeah. then boom, we're right away in an action sequence and pretty yeah. scary. Yeah, yeah. What a brilliant way to do that too. I mean, it's almost Bond esque in that you get the action right at the beginning to kind of suck you into the film. We, you know, he is a charming guy. The whole thing he takes that picture, makes all the gang signs. He's and we get Tony Stark and we get Robert Downey Jr. The witty repartee, quick delivery of lines, the back and forth. You don't know what's real. You don't know what is improv and what's in the script. All of it just works so well, and they're all playing off him so well. And then immediately right. you're into military right in mode. Yeah. yeah, and and one of the key moments is he's scared and yes. struggling. Is yes. he sees Stark Industries on the weapons? Yep. Yeah. He did this. Yes. He did this he, to himself. Exactly. That's really important. He gets, we see him wounded to the chest. He's bleeding. He's got some sort of bulletproof vest on. Mm-hmm. And then cut to, there's a bag over his head. It gets removed. 
we hear the sound of Pashtun, I think, although it sounds more like they're speaking in Arabic. So mm-hmm. I don't know why they're speaking Arabic in Afghanistan, although they can. There certainly are uh, sure. uh, people from the Arab world who are in Afghanistan. Sure. Certainly true, but seem a little weird. That's just a personal <laughs> thing. Um, uh, and then go to titles. Yeah. And then we go back in time, 36 hours earlier. Which is amazing, right, Steve? Because it's like sometimes when you get certain comic books, the first few panels are there before the title is there. Yep. And it feels very similar to that. Yep. Yeah. You turn to the splash page. Yes, yeah. exactly. And, and and I think it's really, I, I, I have no idea if this is true, but for me, I wonder if they're writing this movie chronologically and they're writing through the first act yeah. and then they suddenly go, man, it's a long time before any action happens. Yeah. And then they go, let's just put it up front. <laughs> so we <laughs> know where we're going because it is going to be a long time before we get back there. Exactly. So we're 36 hours earlier. We, we start out at this award ceremony. Well, you get the voiceover, right? Oh, that's right. Even from an early age, the son of legendary weapons developer Howard Stark quickly stole the spotlight with his brilliant and unique mind. At age four, he built his first circuit board. At age six, his first engine. And at 17, he graduated summa cum laude from MIT. It's a guy who does voiceovers all the time. I hear that guy all the time on A&E or on History Channel. He's so good at doing those voiceovers. And he does a whole intro. And then you see, we see, it's almost Citizen Kane-esque with the breakfast scene. We get the progression of Tony Stark from being the outcast child to returning, to taking over for Obadiah Stane. And the shot of that magazine cover of Forbes where he is standing in front of and Obadiah yep. is looking over his shoulder. Fantastic. It's key. Let, that it lets you know what that relationship is going to be for the rest of the movie. It's funny. When you said it was almost Citizen Kane, I was sure you were going to talk about the newsreel. Oh, no. Well, that too. I suppose you could throw yeah. it in as a newsreel as well. Yeah. Um, so we get all this, you know, we, we, we front load a bunch of exposition. Yes. We get a lot about this character. Which is a smart way to do it, I yep. think, when it's done effectively. Yep. Um, we find out about smart weapons and advanced robotics. Mm-hmm. And Terrence Howard introduces Tony. Right. Um, who will not stay on this franchise. <laughs> Unfortunately not, no. I like Terrence Howard. I, I do yeah, too. Yeah. But, you know. Um, and, he got uh, Empire. He's fine. Uh, so we get this introduction of Tony. Yes. Where's Tony? He's playing he's playing craps. He's, yeah. playing, he's out in the casino. Yeah, this is not a very responsible guy. Oh, no. Wonder why they cast Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> um, Jeff Bridges takes the award. I remember being in the theater, mm-hmm. and the first glimpse of bald, bearded Jeff Bridges was like, holy fuck. Yeah, right? What happened to this guy? It's so fantastic. Yeah. Immediately... I knew this is not, this is an evil dude. Oh, no yeah. matter what he was doing, you could tell just the look and the size of him, you know? Yeah. It was great. Yeah. So Tony's playing craps. We see John Favreau as his bodyguard. Yes. Um, Happy Hogan. Which is fun. Fun, fun to have him. Mm-hmm. And uh, a reporter calls him the merchant of death. Yeah. Leslie Bibb. Yeah. Fun and uh, and Tony's response is, well, peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. <laughs> Um, and he likes the, the name Merchant of Death. Yeah, he's perfectly fine with he it. That and one. then comes on to her immediately. Cut sex. to... They're having sex. They're having sex. Yes. So this is not a subtle film. No. Uh, the reporter wakes up in his house. We hear Jarvis for the first time, Paul yeah. Bettany. Mm-hmm. I really go like, how far ahead are they thinking? Oh, to him. make him vision? Yeah. I think they were thinking that far ahead. That's smart. Right? So brilliant. And the re- they recently cast in the voiceover Spider-Man Homecoming... It's Jennifer Connelly, who's Paul Bettany's wife. Oh, I didn't know that. So she's the voice of Karen in Spider-Man: Homecoming, who's the voice of the the his suit. Oh, that's fascinating. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, and uh, we see Gwyneth Paltrow for the first time. Yes. 
She's not my favorite actress. Really? Yeah. Oh, I love her as Pepper Potts. And I agree with you. There are moments that I don't necessarily enjoy Gwyneth Paltrow, but I think she's a perfect Pepper Potts to Downey's Stark. I I have no objection to her. She Mm -hmm. does fine in the... Like, I don't know. There's something about her. I just... You know, sometimes you have that with certain actors. Yes, of course. There's just something about her. Is there a privilege privilege vibe that you get from her that you don't don't know? Okay. I don't know what it is. It's just that... I I don't want to... I don't want to... You know, we started the podcast saying that (laughs) that we wanted to be positive, so I don't want to just disparage Miss Paltrow. Fair. Um, but just she's not my favorite actress. Okay. But, but I do right. like this scene. Yeah. It's very nice. I'm yeah. here to take out the trash. Yeah. Oh, that's such a great line, man. I it is. It is a fantastic line. <laughs> I don't think this reporter deserves it. <laughs> you know what? That's kind of fair. But when you find out later that Pepper has like a little bit of a oh, has a has feelings for Tony, Absolutely. then it's coming from that place. Yeah. I mean the real trash up to this point in the movie is Tony Stark. Kind of Tony Stark. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah, it's not I mean, yes, she did after accusing him of being the merchant of death, yeah. go to bed with the merchant of death, sure, which sure. isn't the highest recommendation. I mean, <laughs> um, we see uh, Tony working is working on an old car, and this is a key piece of information: is that yeah. he's both a genius and a hands-on, practical guy. It's very important to plant this little piece of uh, stuff, and, and it's a cool old car yep. and fun to see. If you yep. were a gearhead, which I'm not, but it's still a cool <laughs> car. Um, Our friend Mark Sloan is, so he, he'll enjoy that yeah. scene, I'm sure. Yeah. How many shout-outs has Mark Sloan gotten on? Has he got? A, does he get a lot on this He's podcast? Got, at I'm least, sorry. at least two. Why? Two. At least two. Okay, I give him more. Okay, he's a wonderful person. <laughs> Hi, Mark. Um, Let's move on. <laughs> So, uh, and now we're onto a private jet with Tro- Terrence Howard, whose character's name is Rhodey, by the way. Yeah, Rhodes, yeah. And uh, they're just not going to drink with him? Oh, yeah, he's going to drink with him. Yeah. Apparently, the stewardesses dance on this private plane. It's a strange world Tony, <laughs> Tony lives in. I guess. When you're rich, you get what you like. And now we're going to have the demonstration of the Jericho weapon system. <sighs> yeah. It's a great sequence. It, it is. It really is. All the way up to the explosion and the... The wind. Uh, yeah, the wind. like the Yeah, yeah the, 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 uh, of the aftermath, the explosion going through them and then knocking some of the military guys over, yep. some of the observers over. And, and it's great that they show, that Favreau shows uh, Stark stumbling a little bit. Yeah. Because even in his presentation, he's not 100% strong. Well, because he continually pushes things beyond yes. his his arrogance is such an important part of his character throughout the film yeah i mean not just i mean he's going to change his character quite a bit in the course of the film but the arrogance stays yes the i'm just going to go ahead and do this stupid thing yeah and i assume that i'm gonna which again goes to like this is privilege yeah because he's been in a world where there have been no consequences no consequences exactly yeah Yeah. um and now we're back to the attack Mm -hmm. and it's it's pretty disturbing when he wakes up in the cave. Yeah. There's surgery. There's there's some tube in his chest. There's mm-hmm. blood. I mean, it's it's pretty freaky. Yes, it is. What's going on? And, and that's to let you know the starkness of this situation, so yeah. to speak, lack of a better term. <laughs> the starkness of the situation. You know, he's it looks seems terrorists have kidnapped a terrorist cell. Have kidnapped him. Right. They've got him down there. We find out there's a scientist there, yeah, and that he's Yassin Yinsen. Yeah, Yinsen. He's supposed Yinsen. to build. They're supposed to build stuff together or build this missile for this main terrorist guy who. Who was in the original? Who was in the 2009 Star Trek reboot film? Oh, he right. plays the captain who sends uh, Kirk's father in there to fight. You know, oh. and so he, yeah, good actor that guy. And yeah, and so they go in, and that you get the whole. And the guy who plays the doctor, the scientist rather, is the same actor from Crash. Oh, right. Has yeah. that sequence, yeah. and so like all of that, you you kind of you want to cast these really uh, good, strong character actors to build to bring these characters to life, so that Robert Downey Jr. is really good actors to play off of, and it's great. 
two two things I'll mention only very briefly. Yeah. The first one is is that the, their their plan doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No. We're going to build the most advanced missile system with two guys in a cave yeah. and some, you know, like, how is that going to work? As smart as Tony is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and also, we're in this world of, oh, here are the bad guys are, are Arab terrorists. And, yeah. you know, and this is a cliche that we see over and over and over again. Yeah. And this one is one of those. Yes. You know. Agreed. Um, and so a lot of people, a lot from the Arab uh, protest groups did protest, like the people that are part of these groups that did protest the movie, saying that it was a bit stereotypical. So. Yeah. So, so I don't, I don't want to dwell on that because nope. it's a comic book movie. Right. We certainly talked about these issues on the podcast sure, before. Sure, sure. Um, so they say, okay, we want you to build this weapon system. They torture him. Yeah. They dunk him in the water. They're trying to force him to build this weapon system, and finally he agrees. Yeah. But that is not his plan. No. No. Tony has another idea. Yeah. I'm. <laughs> Again, it doesn't, you know, is it, are we expecting a lot of believability here? No, it's a comic it's a, book movie. It's a comic movie. Okay. Right. So we're going to build this suit of armor. The Iron Man suit. Yeah, the Iron Man suit. The very, and, and I, I love the design of the very early Iron Man suit. Yeah, and I love that they worked that into the film. I mm-hmm. love that they got the original Iron Man suit from the 50s to work that into the film. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, and now we're going to see them working. They're, they're, and this is why it was important to show that Tony could work on cars so right. that we know that he can build a suit of iron. know <laughs> 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 that he can build a, a motorized perfect weapon suit yes. out of a bunch of scraps in a cave. Yeah. Um, and they're being monitored. Uh, apparently not very well. No, these are not the best bad guys. No, well, I mean, you don't. You're not a low level bad guy terrorist if you got some kind of like uh, incredible intelligence or something like that. <laughs> yeah. You know. No. Well, well, and we're gonna have smarter bad guys later. In exactly. Movie. We're gonna we're gonna upgrade our bad guys as we go along. Gunmen are gunmen for a reason. Yeah. Um, it's a good it's a good building montage. Mm-hmm. And there's this, uh, but I do wonder. It's like, at what point do they go? Like that doesn't look like a missile system. <laughs> <laughs> but if he's intelligent enough to build it, they can't understand what he's doing. So they have to kind of yeah, just but it make has sure hands he's on camera and feet. <laughs> well, true, true. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's like an eight foot tall giant metal suit of armor. I do think I don't think they figure that out until he actually puts it. Oh on, no, they right? don't. Yeah, no, there no. we go. So, so yeah. they're, they're not very good. Yeah, exactly. not very good bad guys. <laughs> We've established that. Um, uh, and and he builds this miniature arc reactor thing, which yes. he puts in his chest, which becomes key to his survival yep. and to Iron Man's power and a key plot point. There's a, there's a nice little co- conversation with Jensen and him while they're yeah. playing backgammon. Yeah. You know, that's a nice little character moment. Absolutely. You establish the stakes at that point with that conversation, right? And you establish the connection for what's hap- what's going to happen once they make their escape, right? You, yep. Once you make the connection, you make this time, and it helps push Tony into further into that realization process that he's in, which is his weapons cause damage, call hurt real pain to real people right. all over the world. And for he, it's nice to do when you're sitting in your nice, comfortable house that you don't have to think about the stakes of the things that you're building. You just look at your bank account and look at the toys you can buy. But there's a real cost to your money. And so that's what you see here with this guy, him explaining the situation, him talking to him. He's actually seeing the real-life consequences or the real-life effects of his work. Well, and... This is not a political movie, nope. and I'm not going to make it a political podcast, No, but this for real. Yes. The United States has a huge weapons industry. Mm-hmm. It has sold weapons to all sides in, in lots yes. of wars, including weapons to people who end up using them on us. Which we find out later in the film yeah. is what's happening thanks to Obadiah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So that, that, that it, it's, certainly, it's certainly a real 
plot point. Yes. Finally, the stupid bad guys <laughs> are <laughs> the are, gunmen. Yes. Yeah. Our stupid bad guys are going to get an upgrade because the bald guy comes and he's a little bit smarter. Yes. He and is. he comes in, starts inspecting things. He finds some plans. That's Raza. Raza. Yes. Yeah. And he's a great looking yeah. villain. Really so good. good looking villain. Yeah. Uh, and so he's going to torture Jensen to find out mm-hmm. what's going on. Mm hmm. Brings the rock. The, yeah, it's this scary. Little, this molten rock. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put it in your mouth. Yeah. And he makes, uh, he finally breaks uh, Tony. And Tony, Tony, I think that's when Tony decides he's going to build this. Like, he's going to, you know, really put this thing in motion. Yeah. Because like you said, the thing about him is hubris. Tony has yep. hubris. It helps him and it hurts him at the same time. That's just the that's just both sides of the same coin with with people, and that's with anybody. I think you, the things that make them successful are also the things that could possibly bring them down. Yeah, it's always the truth. So he needs he needs this guy, and so yeah. you, they say, okay, you got till tomorrow to finish the missiles. Yeah, okay. Uh, and <laughs> so we go here. back to another montage. We have the first moment he puts on that Iron Man oh, mask. So awesome! It's really good. Yeah, he talks. You see him through some keyboard mm-hmm. shortcuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, to, to set up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, some of this is just like. I mean, it, it, anyway. Yeah, um, Steve, I don't know if people know this on the podcast, but Steve is kind of a functioning genius. So wow. when he sees things like this, it really does bother him. He has to accept it. Like, but guys who are a little bit less intelligent than him, like me, we just kind of watch him. Yeah, I don't understand it. L- looks believable to me. Let's keep going. A, you're extremely intelligent. <laughs> Not um, to this level, though. Um, it, well, it's, it's, it goes, this is something we talked about, is you have to. Uh, accept movies on what they're supposed yes, to be. Yes, you know what I mean. Right. And we're not. Ex- you know, this is a um, this is Iron Man. Yeah. So if you don't suspend your disbelief on the fact that a guy could be in this metal suit, yeah, that's true. Then there's no movie. Yeah, and right. so I can't. As you know, as a good audience <laughs> member, I have to put it aside. Yeah. Now there is some part of my brain that's going, nope. <laughs> But but that's exactly. okay. But that's exactly. not because right. it's not, we're watching Iron Man. But it's not going nope. Like yeah. if it's going nope, well, then I you're think, out of the movie. I think part of yeah. part of it is does the does a movie violate its own rules? Yeah. Or does it stylistically try to be something else? Right. And this is where you know not to revisit it, but this is where Armageddon kind of sits for me mm-hmm. because it's doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Let's not let's not open that. Again. <laughs> <laughs> Just leave it aside. Jill's on Jill's on the map, on, a, on a comment. That's all you need to know. Jill's on an asteroid. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else out the window. Um, <laughs> Everything else. Out the window, yeah. <laughs> All right, we built up a lot of anticipation. We did. Time to see Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. And I think what you said is right, Steve. You start with the action at the beginning, right? That way, you earn the audience's attention for this time while he's building all this stuff and having this connection with you here and and where it leads to. Yeah, because this movie actually has a lot of character and story mm-hmm. stuff to go on. This mm-hmm. is not. I mean, later on, these movies are going to become more wall to wall action. Yes, Iron Man's not. No, at all. Yeah. Um. Uh, but when he does come out, he does kick some ass. Yes. And he's got a flamethrower, and he's getting shot with bullets that are bouncing off him. Right. He's like, it's a pretty fun action sequence. It is. And one thing we should point out is, for most of these shots, that's a real guy in a metal suit. Yeah. And that suit weighed 60 to 100 pounds. Depending, <sighs> if it had the flamethrower on it, that was 100 pounds. Good God. And uh, it was usually stunt guys, mm-hmm. but it's also Robert Downey Jr. in the suit. And he's <laughs> moving around in it. And that is a suit built by Stan Winston, one of the great guys of all time. Yeah. That ain't easy. No. Yeah. Let's let you know. Uh, Tony wins. Tony does. But gets goes tries to fly. Well, he does, but first, I mean, he loses Jensen. Like, we see his death. Oh, you're right. And the death <laughs> yeah. is really important uh, because... That is, I think, the final piece of the puzzle for right. him in his conversion. Seeing the death of this man who sacrificed himself for him, for Tony, for a man he just met. 
And Yinsen said, this is the way I want to go out. This, makes, this, is, this was always the way it was going to happen. So he knew even more than Tony Stark knew. And that's the thing. You can be as smart as you want. You can be a genius. But some people are smarter about humanity, about human emotions, human connections. And sometimes that matters more than you, the fact that you can build the most incredible weapon in the world. If you don't understand people, you, you, how intelligent are you really? You know, uh, I see. I told you you're a genius. I'm just, like, no, I'm just saying. That's a really beautiful statement. I mean, that was re- that was really good. And and it's something, you know. Do I think Stanley is the greatest writer in the world? No, not at all. Right. But he understands certain very specific things about structure. Mm-hmm. And this this death is very much parallel to Uncle Ben. Yes. You know, good is point. that it's the cathartic death that teaches you the. That changes the character for the good. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and it's not that Stanley doesn't repeat himself. (laughs) You know, he does quite a bit. Yeah, Um, and it totally works. So, Mm -hmm. so we have this big battle. Uh, Tony survives it. He doesn't quite make it through flying crash lands, (laughs) which is great. And he gets rescued, and we're going to go back to the world. Right. Um, But once again, he gets rescued. But the film doesn't take itself too seriously. No, no, because roads they have that banter, which men do. Men have that ball busting banter. It's just how we're built sometimes. Sure. So they have that ball busting thing between friends. Well, and you bet you better be able to bust the balls if you're hanging out with Tony Stark because he's going to. (laughs) Well, some people can't handle getting their balls busted. And he said, "What's the first thing he says? I want a cheeseburger and a press conference." Yes. And the cheeseburger he gets is from Burger King. <laughs> Product endorsement. Now, I, I, of course, that's what it is. But I'm going to have to digress for a moment oh. and say, you've just come back from being kidnapped sure, by terrorists. Sure, sure, You say, the first thing I want is a cheeseburger. An American cheeseburger. An American cheeseburger. That's what he says. Well, there is no other kind. Well. It is invented in America. Okay, fair. Um, I, there's no question that Burger King isn't even on the list. What cheeseburger would you get? Really? Really? I mean, if you're the richest man in the world, yeah, you've just been captured by terrorists. You say I want a cheeseburger. It, it ain't gonna be fucking Burger King. No, it might be Five Guys or In and Out. Those are excellent cheeseburgers. What? I, I I'm not gonna go to a craft beer place to get a cheeseburger from there. If I'm, you want that fast food. You want that, that fast food. Uh, That's in our culture. It's in our blood. <laughs> so well, he, I, I, yeah. yeah. What about you? Because well, you asked the question, you have to answer it. Well, first of all, let, let me let me preface this by saying I literally could do a whole podcast on cheeseburgers. <laughs> we should do that as a Patreon. <laughs> um, we'll do, if if someone right. wants to donate that and, and request we do a conversation about cheeseburgers, I would happily do a conversation about cheeseburgers. We, we will discuss them. We'll okay. discuss them in, in depth. <laughs> um, but I think I, I like In-N-Out and Five Guys. They're yeah. very good. I probably would go for the more restaurant-y sort of cheeseburger. You would? Yeah. I would Where go would you for go? The, Red Robin? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Where would you go? That's a restaurant? <laughs> sure it is. And they do specialize in cheeseburgers. Yes. Um, right now, so uh, Castles over on 6th Street in okay. Los Angeles has All a right. really, really good cheeseburger. Okay. That might be my favorite one in LA right now. Well, I got to take you to Herbs on Santa Monica Boulevard. We just discovered that with Blue the other day. I've been there. It's Blue great. Ch- yeah, it's great. Great burger. Yeah. I mean, one thing, you, you know... I, I'm a man who has a weight problem, and one of my problems is I will seek out food. I'll, I'll hear there's a good cheeseburger somewhere, and I will drive and test it out. Damn right. Yeah. Uh, we, just, we just discovered our show. It's a whole new show. Uh, a video show. All right, let's yeah. do it. Obesity with Steve. No, stop it. Okay. So, But we're back to... So yep. he said a cheeseburger and a press conference. We're going to go through the press conference. I love the moment where he says, let's all sit down. Yeah, right? Hey, would it be all right if everyone sat down? Why don't you just sit down? That way you can see me and I... So unusual for a superhero film. But this, I think this is the influence of people from this generation. John Favreau and Downey Jr. to a degree. Of course, a little bit older than Favreau. But I think there's this influence of wanting to have a different kind of approach. A more human approach yep. to things. More realistic. He sits down. He says, I never got sick about it, my dad. 
that in 90 in 2008 that really hit me because my dad died in 2008 oh wow so when he said that i was like fuck i got super emotional theater i remember i don't know who i was watching with but they put their hand on my knee like they they saw i got emotional yeah i think it was shannon and so it was just like that was so uh such a powerful moment and so it made me it made me connect to tony stark like for real connect to him and be on the journey with him for the rest of the movie i never got to say goodbye to dad I never got to say goodbye to my father. There's questions that I would ask him. I would ask him how he felt about what this company did. If he was conflicted, if he ever had doubts. Or maybe he was every inch the man we all remember from the newsreels. I saw young Americans killed by the very weapons I created to defend them and protect them. And I saw that I had become part of a system that is comfortable with zero accountability. The Jeffrey Bridges jumps up, tries to push him off the mic. It's so great. Yeah, he says, oh, nothing to see here. Yeah, We're just right, going to go right. away. Well, I think part of the key to this, and this is what you see happening, you know, from sort of X-Men and Spider-Man on, yeah. is that up to this point, quote-unquote grown-ups saw comic book movies as kid stuff. Yeah. They were dumb. And so when those grown-ups who weren't comic book fans went to make movies, they made dumb movies. Mm-hmm. And particularly if you look in the early, late 80s, early 90s, oh, at the Marvel movies then, yeah. the, there's a Captain America movie, there's a Punisher movie with Spawn. Dolph Lundgren. I mean, there's some really, yeah. is that they're made by people who clearly don't get it. Yeah. And, John, and, and, what, and since I grew up loving comic books, and as you've said, I'm a genius, <laughs> um, that there must be something that is not dumb about them. Yeah. And definitely Favreau and Kevin Feige and Robert Downey Jr., they understand it. Yeah. Um, we also get right in the sequence. It's we get to meet Agent Coulson. Yes, we do. Who belongs to this uh, company, which has a really long name, which we should fix sometime. Sure. I'm not a reporter. I'm Agent Phil Coulson with the Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division. Do you remember seeing that in the theater? Mm-hmm. I remember sitting next to my uh, uh, wife yeah. and going, oh, it's S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. <laughs> They're talking about S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> I was so excited. And this brings up the question you asked earlier where you said, how far ahead were they thinking? Pretty far. Pretty far. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which I think it's funny because I think both uh, Warner Brothers with their DC movies mm-hmm. and now Universal with their monster movies. Mm-hmm. I think they're, they're, they're thinking too far ahead. Yeah, I agree, man. Yeah. Don't launch a universe announcing that you're launching a universe you right. you you start the process you build let, let, let it organically happen and of course with marvel studios they got sold to disney so di- when disney money comes in then you can start to look at other prospects like expanding the universe but the th- second you start talking about it too much then it becomes a situation where it builds up expectations and then you're being judged not just for that movie but future movies down the road absolutely and that's dangerous well and you're not doing the work you need to do to exactly. make this movie good exactly because you're only thinking about it's like it's like um playing football <laughs> Ball, where this, they always say, you know, don't run until you catch the ball. Right, catch the ball first. Make sure you got to make sure you got the ball. Look the ball into and, your hands. Yeah, yep. And 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 I think Warner Brothers and Universal, they're already running. Yeah, and the ball is dribbling down on the ground. Exactly. Like, oh, maybe we should have that with us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, we meet uh, Colson. We mm-hmm. have our press conference. He says he's shutting everything down. Uh, Ebedai and Tony have a conversation. Yep. And Tony says, no, we should go to this arc reactor. Now, what's interesting to me at this point in the film is he says, I have this, yeah. I've miniaturized it in my chest, and Epitaph doesn't seem interested in this at all. Not initially, no. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I would think, like, even if you did want to make lots of money off of your weapon system, they right. would also go, that's pretty fucking cool. Maybe yeah. we should take a look at that as well. Um, and, and again, we see, I mean, it was said, this is going to be the third time. Jeff Bridges is great. Yeah. 
<laughs> we have little Kramer mad money thing. Yeah. <laughs> and this is we talked about this in other films. That's it's like topical. this is where it sort of dates the film. Yeah, and, it does date the film. Yeah. It's like, right. okay. Um I think one of the best scenes uh between that really establishes the relationship between uh Tony Stark and Pepper Potts is that scene where uh, he is lying on the kind of like the gurney type thing that he has in his right. lab, and she he invites her in and asks how small her hands are. She comes down, and he playfully does this thing of having her pull out the copper wire, which sets, uh, you know, sets the heart rate beating. He's got, right. to, and she's got to put in the uh, the other uh, reactor into his body, and she's like, it's so realistic. It's one of the great moments. I think acting wise between her and, and Robert Downey Jr. because she seems very natural. She legitimately seems like she's freaking out about what she's doing. I usually freak out when I reach my hand into someone's chest. That's <laughs> it, and you got pus or whatever yeah. it is there. And then she, you know, she shocks him at first on accident, pulling the thing out, which is hilarious. <laughs> and so all of it is just a great character building moment between for both of them and between them as in their in their relationship. And I and I it's so sweet. And when he puts when in the laugh they have after the laugh he does afterwards. It's something that I recognize. And so, for me, I love this scene so much. I think it's a great scene. It's yeah. a lovely scene. Tony, Tony surprises Terrence Howard, who's with some pilots. Yes. Talking about man versus unmanned, really mm-hmm. wants to talk about something that's really important. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me about this scene is, is, is Terrence Howard's pissed off about the not doing military weaponry anymore. Yeah. And he says, you need to go back and get some rest so you can go back to being who you were before. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, because when you make a change, sometimes people don't 100% believe that you've made the change and exactly. are ready to accept the change you've made. Yeah, They want to bring put you back where you were before because that's how their world worked, yep. and they liked it when you didn't unsettle their world with your change. Well, and, and make no mistake, Terrence Howard, or, or Rhodey said, I'm not going to drink with you on that airplane. Yep. And then he, he had a pretty good time drinking with him on did, the airplane. Right. So people, you know, there's this uh, theory called homeostasis, which is that, mm-hmm. which is that like if you're in a family or a group and someone makes a major change, change that upsets the whole equilibrium of the group mm-hmm. and the group will fight to get back to that place mm-hmm. so so one of the things is like let's say you got an alcoholic in a family mm-hmm. and he gets sober well the the oldest son might start acting out right because we need turmoil in the family because that's the dynamic mm-hmm. they want they want they want their old tony back yeah which is weird no it's the yeah. you know we all go through changes. the hardest things you confront is going sure. through changes and how it affects other people Tony goes back to Jarvis. He goes to his workroom. Let's start a new project. Yeah. This is some fun, science-y, improv-y <laughs> stuff with yeah. Robert Downey Jr. It's a lot of fun to watch him work. It is, and it's a lot of fun for him to give life to these robots. Yep. His interaction with the robots give life to the robots. Yes, their actions do, right. but Robert, that's, that's the mark of a great actor. It's a great point. I right? Totally Even agree. an inanimate object like a robot can be brought to life by interactions with uh, the main actor or the main character and then having the robot do little uh, uh, movements mm-hmm. that mirror what a human might do in emotional in, a, in an emotion situation is just so perfect. It's a great combination. I never thought about it until you said it, but you're totally right. Mm-hmm. And it's similar to what we talked about with the Muppet movie yeah. is that it's the humans interacting with the Muppets that's part of what's giving them life. Of course. Because the other actor treats them as alive, therefore... They're alive. They're alive. Yeah, exactly. That's a really, really good point. Um, we have... Uh, and at that moment, the bad guys back in Afghanistan recover the old suit. Yeah. Uh oh. This could be. This could be trouble. Um, we continue to build with Jarvis, and and they really do take their time yeah. going through this because a lot of this movie is becoming Iron Man. Yes. You know, this is a movie about becoming this character, this, yeah. this superhero. Um, we have our first test of the thrusters. Yes. That's a real stunt. Wow, really? Yeah, where he flips up backwards yeah. into that wall. That was so great. That's a dude on a wire. <laughs> I mean, it's not as fast. No. I mean, it's sped up for the film, but, right. but that's a nasty-looking stunt. It is, yeah. and it's fantastic the way it's 
done. Because one thing we should point out is that this movie is 2008. Yeah. We're not in the digital world that we're in today. Right. And on some ways, I like that better. Yeah. Because when you can do anything, you'll do anything. Yeah, there are moments in Spider-Man Homecoming where you can see the CGI of him moving around. And you're just like, you know, there are just some moments. You're just like, ah, it doesn't look realistic. But there's enough of it that does that covers it over. Well, the CG, I mean, it's gotten so good now that we've kind of gotten a little bit past that Uncanny Valley Mm -hmm. stuff. But. I still like humans doing stuff. I agree. You know, um, okay. We have the another montage of building stuff. Yeah. Uh, Pepper shows up. He's got his little. He's got. Oh, this is a flight stabilizer. Yeah. This okay. is where he's got the little repulsor thing. Yes. And he goes, it just goes. Yeah, and he's like, yeah. didn't expect that. Yeah. Didn't see that coming. Yeah. So we're establishing their relationship more exactly. and more. You know. Uh, Obadiah is, tells Tony that the board is sided against him, and right. they're going to take him out with the pizza. With the pizza? Yeah. I really want to know where that pizza came from. <laughs> in addition to pizza. I think there's a theme in this podcast <laughs> for me. <laughs> Cheeseburgers and pizza. Well, it looks like the product placement is working, Steve. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Well, it's, it isn't because they didn't say where that pizza's from. No, but they got you hungry for pizza, and that helps all pizza stores. Yeah. Um, Good point. The great sequence here, too, is the first time we hear Obadiah kind of uh, start to become a villain. Like, really become oh, yeah. a villain. Because he goes, like, if you could just let us study that reactor in your chest, then we could fill it. And he's like, no. But that's Obadiah trying to sneakily yes. find out how to make that thing work yep. for his own benefit and for his company's benefit. Because he, he, he's going to force Tony or Tony out somehow. Yeah. Back to the, back to the workshop. Yep. We're going to do our first successful flying test. Yeah. And what they did was they had to rig a different style of... Normally, a flying rig will attach to your waist mm-hmm. and go around your back. And it's sort of like you wear a big vest. But the problem is you can kind of feel that someone's supported by that. Yeah. And they wanted the, his weight to be distributed on his feet. So he's actually... They invented a new rig where he's standing on the, the, the things that's supporting him. Right. Which gives it a really different look. And we have that great moment. Yeah. I can fly. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. It's awesome. That's, that's the thing Downey Jr. does really well in this movie. He brings to life the joyful, childlike exuberance of discovering this about yourself as a, a superhero, as an Iron Man, or whatever it is. There's such a joy in it all. You Absolutely. know what I'm yeah. saying? And we, as uh, our inner children, come out when we watch movies like this, and we remember being playing superhero, playing yeah. Superman, yeah, playing back, point. jumping yeah. off the roof with the cape on or the towel on or whatever to kind of be excited about, like, be a superhero again. And so to see it, uh, Downey Jr. is such a great casting because he brings that to life. Well, so, with him. so much charisma, so much yeah. wit. Mm-hmm. And we have to remember that a lot of what he does in this movie is acting by himself. Yeah. He's acting point. with robots and right. then he's in this suit, which is, this is the first time we're going to see it. He's going to put on the mask. Yeah. We're in this heads up display. Look, that's just, that's just a close up of a guy yep. with a black background, just talking to the camera. Yep. That is hard. And he is so witty and charming mm-hmm. and alive. And yeah, it, that's I can't what, think of anyone else who could have done right. this. Right. And that's why when actors say to me, Oh, all I had to act on was a pole and a, and a tennis ball. The good ones bring it to life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's hard. It is. Of course it is. It is. You could, you know. That's why only 2% of people make a living doing it. Right. It's fucking hard. Well, I think it's all, it's not. That, <laughs> Even less than that make a real big living out of it. I think, I think it's that, but I think it's also that so many more people want to do it. Yes. Than there are slots. That's probably true. Yeah. I mean, I, but I agree. If you, if you just do an open call for auditions and you just have actors coming off the street, most of them can't act. Yeah. They're terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it is a hard job. So we're going to go off on our first flight. Yeah. We fly over the Santa Monica Pier. He, it's fun. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Even though Jarvis is telling him, you got to take it slow. Take he's it like, slow. no, but this is, once again, this is what you brought up earlier, uh, Starks' hubris. Yep. He's like, sometimes you got to run before you walk. 
even though you could die flying in this metal suit at the heights that he's at, he still goes for it. Well, and 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 in, in, in a realistic world, he dies yes, constantly. <laughs> you know, um, but this is not a realistic world. Right. Let's fly straight up because that seems like a good idea. Mm-hmm. The suit ices up, and I really think again, like they're looking at the script, they're going, "Man, we haven't any action in a long yeah, time. Yeah, we need yeah. to have something, some danger." Suit ices up, it shuts off. Uh, and of course, he saves himself for the last possible second because that's the kind of movie we're in. Right. Um, and then, of course, the last moment is when he tries to land, crashes right through the roof. And why do we got to destroy that beautiful Shelby? <laughs> His prices to pay for being stupid. That's what it is. Yeah. That's but he, is. well, but this is the thing with Iron Man. Yeah. He never pays a price. Really, he did. He did in the, with the terrorists. Right. That's that. He does real feeling. He has a reactor for the rest of his life, though, with the terrorists. Yeah, but yes. That's true. He has to wear that thing in his in his chest for the rest of his life. Yeah, but the, the, we don't feel the consequences. You know what I mean? Okay. I mean, you're right. No, you make no, a good I point. Get what you're saying we don't feel the consequences. I respect that, but there is consequences. We may not right. feel it, but there are right. consequences. So, there, yeah. there, 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 that's yeah. definitely true. That's definitely true. Yeah. But this is a privileged guy who's yes. going to really get away with a lot of shit. Absolutely. But that's also the reason he can create this, though. Yeah. Because of his privilege. Um, we get a very nice gift from Pepper. We do. To, to show Tony Stark has a heart. Yes. Yeah. That little, a little, the original arc reactor in this glass box, and not mm-hmm. only is it a nice gift, but it's a really nice plant for later <laughs> yes, in the film. Yes, it is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. Um, the bad guys are trying to reverse engineer that Iron Man suit. Yeah. And Tony finds out that there's a benefit, and he wasn't invited to it. Mm-hmm. If I'm a bad guy trying to ice to- Tony, I-, I would still invite him to the benefit. This yeah. doesn't seem like a good plan. Yeah, I know you're right. So. And he crashes it, and only because he hears the report on the news saying, oh, we don't think he's going to show up, or he's, right. he's not going to show up. So he shows up, and of course he pulls, he immediately goes after Obadiah and goes, what's a guy got to do to get invited to his right. own benefit party, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, Obadiah's not happy that he's not there. happy he's there. Yeah, right. And when he arrives at this benefit, who does he run into but Stanley? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hugh okay, Hefner, right? I would like to put out a request that we stop. Uh, no, no. I disagree with you. You want Stanley in every movie? Absolutely. Right. I love when he pops in. It's a little Hitchcockian, which is why I enjoy it. <sighs> no, you can feel as you feel. I know, I do. You, I'm, t- I'm saying you absolutely have a, a credibility to feel this way. A lot of people probably feel that way. I don't. I never mind it when he shows up. It's I, always a nice there little. There have been some really funny ones. There have yeah. been some very funny ones. The Hulk one was great. Um, what was I can't remember. He's what the one. security guard. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so funny. Um, I remember the most recent in, in Guardians Galaxy Two. Well, the most recent is Spider Man. Oh, well, I haven't seen it yet. No, you haven't. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he shows up in that. Well, this is actually an interesting question. So all you cinephiles out there, do you like it? You want him to keep going until they had to roll him in, you know? Because <laughs> the guy's 90-something. He really is. Um, or, or, or are you like me and kind of wish we, we could retire that yeah. system? Well, he so, just lost his wife. He outlived yeah, his wife. Saw, That's saw, amazing, that. man. Most yeah. men don't outlive their wives. Good, yeah. True. Okay. Uh, we see uh, Tony meets Agent Coulson at the uh, yes, he does. at the thing, mm-hmm. and again we hear this non-Ackerman, which I can't even remember what it is, <laughs> yeah. Shield name. Yeah, sure. And you should probably come up with something better than that. And uh-huh. uh, we're working on it. It's yeah. lots of fun. Sees Pepper. She's in a beautiful dress without a back, without a back, and no deodorant. Let's apparently no deodorant. <laughs> um, let's dance, and this is a really nice scene between them. Really, really is. good. Am I making you uncomfortable? Oh, oh, oh no, no. <laughs> I, I always forget to wear a deodorant and dance with my boss in front of everyone that I work with in a dress with no back. You look great. You smell great. Oh, 
god. But I could fire you if that'd take the edge off. I don't I actually don't think that you could tie your shoes without me. I'd make it a week. Really? Sure. What's your social security number? Five. Five. Right. Right. You're missing just a couple of digits. The other there. eight. <laughs> so I got you for the other eight. And I don't think we get the scene without that scene with the, her, her pulling the thing out of his I chest. Agree. I think I we don't get that yeah. scene. And so it's just a nice sequence between them. Well, and we obviously see her attraction to him. Yeah. And, but I think this is his first time seeing his attraction to her. Yes. It, I mean, he might have been attracted to her as he is to every woman who walks by. Right. But no, he's, I think he's having this realization of like, oh, this person's really special to me. Right. We decide let's go up on the roof where it's not so public. Right. But this is what, and this is why I defend her as Pepper Potts because I think she's really good in this. You're right. She's she's good in this. I mean, just she's yeah. just believable. Like even in that scene that she's so believable, saying to him like, "No, it was not just a dance. You don't understand because you're you, and everybody knows exactly who you are and how you are with girls and and all of that, which is." completely fine but you know then me you're my boss and i'm really dancing think, with you no because really it makes me it look like way. the one who's trying to i just think you're overstating you know That's and right. we're here and then i'm wearing this ridiculous dress and then we were dancing like that and she's just so realistic in it all and then when she leans and try to kiss him and he's not sure what to do and then she goes i i need a drink i would like a, a vodka martini please very dry with olives, a lot of olives, like at least three olives. All it's of this, all I've really seen... fun, awkward. Exactly. Yeah. And I've seen women react like that in situations sure. in real life. So to me, it's just very realistic. It's Absolutely. fantastic. Yeah. Goes down to get the drink, but who does he run into? But Christine, the reporter from yes. before, and uh, it seems like his company's weapons have done all sorts of bad stuff. Right, right. And he um, gets the pictures that apparently have been double dealing, dealing to the terrorists and to the Americans. Yep. And he finds, he confronts Obadiah. And Obadiah then admits to him, yeah, who do you think froze you out of the board? I'm doing yep. it for your own good. Right. Yeah. And it's funny. His emergence as the bad guy is a real smooth, mm -hmm. steady, sort of each one kind of worse than the previous one. Yeah. Setup. It's really, it's very well done. I have a closet desire to start a podcast where I defend every bad guy in every movie. There okay, are reasons. So in addition to our cheeseburger podcast, <laughs> I'm all for this. Um, there's some that are going to be harder than others. Sure. Villains revisited. That's what Villains? I would call it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. That's what All I would right. call it. Okay. Um, in. So, so everyone wants I don't have enough to, thing. I don't yeah, have enough thing. Exactly. You've got plenty of time. Um, okay. Tony yes. watches the news and, and we see sort of what the impact of what this thing was. Yeah. 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 Really big. Yeah. And uh, he sees, okay, once again, it's because of that relationship with the incident at the beginning, he yep. sees the cost. He yep. connects with the cost. He understands it. There's a reality to it. So, you know, he gets in the suit, flies out to that um, town. Yep. And then, you know, we see the Before full... we do that, I want to oh, yeah. go back one. Sure. I think when he's watching that news, yeah. I actually think this is the first time he's actually thinking about what he could do with the suit. Do you know what I mean? I think that's fair. Like, I think I think he's been really excited about making the suit mm -hmm. because he's a scientist and he loves making things. Right. But I I feel like this is the moment where he goes, oh, I'm actually going to wear this suit to be a superhero. Hmm. This is where that starts. That's what I think. I don't have evidence for it, but that's no, kind of how probably, I feel. You might be right because, I mean, I would argue like, oh, well, why would he put the weapons in? But then he has that conversation with Rhodes and he says... I've got this thing I'm working on. Right. It doesn't mean necessarily that he's going to be a superhero. Be a hero. It means like this could help us uh, stop and any wars and right. all wars. Yeah. You know. So yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he. And this is also the first time we get to see the full red and gold suit. Yeah. And we get to see it assembled on him. Yep. And I remember seeing this in the theater and just thinking it was so fucking cool. Right. It is really fun to watch. Yep. Uh, you know. 
part of me is going like, that doesn't seem safe. Because <laughs> <laughs> big, powerful machines locking things on your body, they're off by an inch. It's like, oh, I lost a pinky. That's right. You know, or worse. Or worse. <laughs> so, so he flies off, and he's going to wipe out some bad guys. Yeah. And it's a, it, it is, man, that Iron Man suit is powerful. It, it really is. Yeah. But it still does that noise. <laughs> you know, to let you know that a blast is coming. It's like the rodents of unusual size moment. In <laughs> Princess Bride, you can hear the sound coming before the blaster actually hits you. Yeah. Um, that's hilarious. I never, <laughs> never would have thought of that. But comparison. my favorite sequence is when he kills all five of those bad guys that have got their head, yeah, their he, guns pointed at he the sights them all. And yeah, that's awesome. That's moment. great. Yeah. And, and and also you have the great moment of him blowing up the tank and just the walk away. Yeah. I think there's a we should someone I'm sure it is on YouTube, there's gotta be a montage of people walking away from explosions. <laughs> I'm sure there is. There's just got to so be. many of them. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to duck. I'm not. I'm going to walk slowly. <laughs> yeah, which, which every actor tells you in, in behind the scenes, like that we were a million miles away from that explosion. It's all done by camera tricks. Because right. you could feel the heat when you try to walk away from something really yeah. badly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, uh, he's going to fly. He's successful. Yes. He's taking out the bad guys, including almost, you know, definitely doing some damage to our big, bald bad guy. Yes. Um, and he's going to fly home. Runs into some airplanes. Yeah, he does. It's really lucky that Rhodey happens to be at that particular <laughs> radar station at that particular moment. That works out really well. Yeah. Um, and they think, of course, he's some you know bad guy, and they right. start shooting at him. And he the, he runs into the wing of one of the planes. Mm-hmm. The guy has to eject. His parachute isn't working. Tony's on the phone with Rhodey. I yeah. love that he calls him and says, no, it's me. Hi, Rhodey, it's me. It's who? I'm sorry, it is me. You asked what you're asking about is me. No, see, this isn't a game. You do not send civilian equipment into my active war zone. You understand that? It's not a piece of equipment. I'm in it. It's a suit. It's me! I love that whole conversation is really funny. Yeah. It's me. What do you mean it's me? I know it's... No, no it's me. You're shooting at me. <laughs> um, and we know he's flying down to yeah. save the guy, but the pilot and the other Air Force guys don't know, so yeah. they're still going to try to attack him. And he does rescue the guy. And then, for some reason, the, the plane gets called off. and Or he, he doesn't have to deal with the plane anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't quite understand what happened to Maybe it. Maybe Rhodey said something. Maybe Rhodey finally convinced him to yeah. stop. Um, but that's a pretty first, successful first outing as mm-hmm. Iron Man. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I love the last moment where uh, Tony says, well, say what you usually say. There was an accident in a training exercise. <laughs> and, and Rhodey's like, we can't do that. This is different. We're just not going to cut to... An unfortunate training exercise involving an F-22 Raptor occurred yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, uh, Stain sees that and goes, hmm. Yeah. Always good to have a good villain. Hmm. <laughs> um, the great moment where Pepper catches Tony in the suit being <laughs> put on in his line of, let's face it, you've seen me in a lot worse things. <laughs> this is really funny. That's, uh, that's what the film does really well is it revisits these relationships just to give you a little more groundwork with them. Like it, at the right time, like the editing is so important in films like this. Right. I think even more so than in regular films, because you can get lost in the narrative of, of so many different things happening at the same time. So you have to make sure you come back and connect in a human way. And then you can run off on the fantastical stuff. And it's really important. It's, it's hugely important. And this is the thing that is missing from the big action movies that don't work, which mm-hmm. is it's, it's, it's rarely that you walk out of a big action movie and go the ginormous special effects sequences were terrible i didn't right. like it right. but i like that human stuff mm-hmm. you walk out you go when you didn't like the movie it's because the human stuff didn't work yeah that's i, I can't think of an example yeah. where i went oh man the special effects sucks yeah. today yeah because they're all really good agreed yeah um 
And uh, and now we've slowly been ramping up what a bad guy uh, Jeff Bridges is. Mm-hmm. We're about to take it to a new level because who shows up to visit the terrorists? Uh, Obadiah. <laughs> Couldn't figure out how to say his yep. name for a second. Um, Obadiah shows up. Yeah. And now he's full bad guy. Yeah. Welcome to being full bad guy. Yep. Um, and has this sees that they're working on the Iron Man suit. They're not really getting very far. I think he can take care of it. And our our terrorist guy wants to make a deal, and he's holding up a cup of coffee. But uh, Obadiah pulls out this little device. Yep. That's a good bad guy device. Yep. Pretty scary. Mm-hmm. He has little glowing things in his ears and paralyzes him with sound and looks horrible. Yeah, it does. But once again, you you don't become the head of this company without having your own intelligence. Do you know what I'm saying? Sure. As smart as Tony Stark is, Obadiah is just as smart in a different way. Well, and it seems like, I mean, we know Tony Stark is an irresponsible genius. Yes. He doesn't give a shit about the running of the company. Exactly. Pepper does tons of stuff for him. Mm. He doesn't know his own social security number. We see that like in the he dance, doesn't, yeah. you know, so he doesn't know what Obadiah is doing right. or how he's doing it. He's just coming up with brilliant weapons because he thinks that's fun. Yeah. You know? Um, uh, so, and then the last thing that happens in addition to taking all this stuff, they wipe out everybody. <sighs> yeah. yeah. Now, this is, we can establish that is a bad person. Yeah, it's a full bad guy. Yeah. I'm very curious in your villains. What was it? Villains, villains explained. Villains explained. Yeah. I'd love to hear Or your, Villains Revisited. Villains, villains Revisited. revisited. Yeah. 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 Um, Don't take that idea. I copyrighted anybody listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm you, could never, you could never do it without John. You're That's right. Doomed to failure. That's right. Um, so now to- Tony's plan is: I'm going to send Pepper to go to back to the office and get all the files. Yeah. Um, How dangerous is that? Yeah, that seems like a fairly scary. I mean, he doesn't know that Obadiah is out killing people, mm-hmm. but he certainly knows that this this is a big thing that he's asking her to do. Yeah, and this is this is I push back on this idea with Pepper Potts that like, you know, like I hated in Iron Man 3 when they put her in the Iron Man outfit, like in the uniform. It's not cuz she can't be Iron Man. Of course she could be Iron Man. She's already a hero though. She's already a superhero in a certain way. And I think that's what bothers me sometimes when people say, well, uh, you know, just because she doesn't get the flashy suit, she's not a hero. That's not true. She runs this company. She is intelligent. She takes these risks. She goes on her own missions. This is a, this is a superhero mission for her to yeah. sneak in, get the information uh, from Obadiah's computer, trick him, get the information, and then get out of there without getting caught. All of that is a superhero mission. Well, it's an agent spy mission. To be clear, she's a way better person than Tony Stark. Yes. She's a great person. She's, she's a moral, absolutely. honest, ethical, heroic character. Right. And this sequence where she goes to break in uh, is scary. Yeah. Yeah. And she's there copying files now. I've copied a lot of files on my computer. It doesn't look like these. This is just like a little progress bar. And what's great about what, what I think is so great about the graphics they use for the copying yeah. is, is the, is the way they copy the files on the computer realistic? No. But what's so smart about it, in addition to looking cool, yeah. like a progress bar doesn't look cool, but it's a great expositional tool yes. because you're learning things about this thing. And as things are going by, she sees this section 16. When she sees this section 16 thing, she sees the video of the terrorist going, Hey, you didn't tell us that it was Tony Stark. Right. We were kidnapping. Right. She's very lucky that she saw that video. Yes. Very, very, <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> When you're copying thousands of files over <laughs> from a computer. And just as she's finishing copying, who walks in? But Abadiah. Abadiah. Yeah. And he, what I'm kind of curious about is how much does he suspect at the beginning of the scene, do you think? I think he does because when he has the battle with Tony, he's already prepared for it. I think he's mm. prepared for the battle with Tony the second he sees that. He goes, I got to ramp up my, I got to speed up my process to get what I need to get. 
because I know I'm going to have to fight this thing at some point. And it's a genuinely scary scene. Yep. And Pepper is very cool yeah. as she as she finishes the download, hides the key, mm-hmm. and then manages to extricate herself, grabs the key. Evadiah sits down, sees download complete. Mm-hmm. Oh, she hides the key, brings up the screensaver. Ebediah comes, sits down, sees download complete. Mm-hmm. And just as she's walking out, who does she run into but... Agent Coulson. That's right. I love Clark Gregg, by the way. He's such a good actor. He's great. Mm -hmm. He has such a presence in this film with this small part, Mm -hmm. and he has become so beloved. I mean, by the time... It's not like he has a lot of screen time in these Marvel movies before Avengers when he gets killed. Right. Um, Spoiler alert. Supposedly. Supposedly. Nobody comes back to life, yeah. Yeah, well, it's Marvel Marvel comics. (laughs) That's right. People come back to life. Any uh, comics people come back to life. Ebediah gives some his scientists some hard times. Yeah. Um, and they're like, he says, Tony Stark was able to build this reactor, you know, in a cave. And these scientists, they're not Tony Stark. And that's Peter Billingsley. Oh, that's right. That's who Peter is, Billingsley. Who is the main kid in Christmas Story. He's right. very good friends with Favreau. They produced that Dinner for Five show that was on IFC for a I long really time. I really like Dinner for Five. Mm-hmm. Dinner for Five was fantastic. Yeah. If you haven't seen that show, you should go back and watch those old shows on IFC. They're fantastic explorations and, and, and uh, conversations with filmmakers, uh, art actors, artists, what have you, yeah. all of there. And uh, there's a great little uh, sequence where they kind of discover where Jennifer Garner fell in love with Ben Affleck. Oh, really? They've done it through those dinners. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's really? so interesting. If you can find that on YouTube, it'll blow your mind. Oh, that's but, hilarious. Yeah. So if, if we need Tony Stark... To miniaturize this thing. Let's go see Tony Stark. Ebediah yeah. shows up and uses his little ear paralyzing thing yeah. on Tony. And this is scary. And, and uh, as we said before, Robert Downey Jr. Is doing, has to do some weird acting with robots and with a blank mm-hmm. screen mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And now he has to do paralyzed acting. Yes. And he's really good. Yeah. Like his realization that Pepper's going to die, his realization that he's going to die, mm-hmm. that the bad guy's going to win. And you can see all that playing on his face mm-hmm. as he removes the arc reactor thing from his oh. chest. Ah, oh, what a masterpiece. Look at that. This is your legacy. A new generation of weapons with this at its heart. Too bad you had to involve Pepper in this. I would have preferred that she lived. Oh, such a powerful sequence, man. Yeah, it's brutal. To make a bad guy really, really bad and to make him powerful enough to take out, and believable enough to take out the hero, you've got to have a scene like that where he is so incredibly in control of the situation. And Jeff Bridges does such a great job. It's great. And it's really lucky that he Mm -hmm. has the perfect fitting thing to unscrew (laughs) the the arc reactor from the chest. Steve? (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) It's also, it's also, this is a great example of, 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 uh, a villain monologuing. Yes. You know? Yes. And you know what? Villain's got a monologue. Yeah. Is it a cliche? Sure, sometimes. And sometimes in movies it's done really well and sometimes really terribly. And this one's good. Yeah. Yeah. Because Jeff Bridges. Because Jeff Bridges. Pepper calls Rhodey. Can't reach Tony. Tony tries to make it to that old heart and yeah. does a good acting job. Can't make it. And you're like, oh, fuck. He didn't make it. I, I think he's really... He can't do anything. And who comes to the rex- rescue? Jarvis. Yes. Uh, totally unexpectedly, I yeah. think. I because I think I had forgotten about him. Right. I was like, I don't. How are we going to get out of this? It's the much maligned robot. Yeah. That has been getting so much shit from Tony the whole time, being threatened to be donated yep. to a community college that comes out and saves him. Yep. Once uh, again, great. What you said, Steve. Great plant. Right. It's right. Great. No, it's perfectly set up. Yep. Abadie puts the uh, the new reactor into his into his big giant suit. Yeah. Again, it fits perfectly, even though he had never had one before. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm just going to say it. I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm just going to say it. 
Uh, and uh, Pepper and Coulson go to arrest Ebediah. I don't know why Pepper has to come along. I don't know why. But it's yeah. part of the Paltrow thing. If you're going to cast Paltrow, you got to put her in these situations to give her screen time to show well, I don't that think she's it's just, just that. I think it's that she's the main character. We want to put her in danger That's what I mean. so that Tony has someone to rescue. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it. but it is sort of like, please don't usually yeah. bring along just some <laughs> random person. Uh, well, I like, and one of the things I really love is uh, Jeff Bridges' voices as in the Iron Man suit. They do a great job. Yeah, Obadiah is a fantastic villain, but to put him in that suit is even more menacing, how he echoes, you know, because he's got such one of the most amazing voices yep. as an actor. Yeah. Rhodey finds Tony. Mm-hmm. Tony gets up. He gets in the suit. Rhodey looks over at that other suit and goes... <laughs> Next time, baby. Yeah. <laughs> or something like Which that. Which unfortunately wasn't true no, for him. Not sorry. Terrence Howard. Yeah. Sorry, Terrence Howard. Yeah. I actually don't know why he's not. What, what's uh, the it cause? was salary issues. He Because uh, he was coming in at a high off a of hustle and flow. Right. So he was paid more or paid a higher rate than Tony, than uh, Robert Downey Jr. And so Terrence Howard he, made more money than Robert Downey Jr. I think on he Iron was. Man? I think he was offered more or a higher amount of money than normal for a secondary right. character. Uh, and so when the time came to negotiate for Iron Man 2, well, obviously, uh, Robert Downey Jr. had blown up and uh, Rhodes felt that he should be paid at the same level or the uh, comparable level of what he was getting played percentage wise for the first film. And so mm. Marvel's like, nah, we're not going to do that. And uh, Robert had already made so much because he'd made the deal on the back end for right. Iron Man. He made so much money off Iron Man. Of course. Like $50 million is what they said he made off Iron wow. Man, which really pissed off Marvel. And so they had that situation, so that's why they replaced him. And not gotcha. that Don Cheadle asked for less. It's that Don Cheadle's a good actor, so if you can replace Terrence Howard, why not go with Don Cheadle? He's a fantastic he's, actor. He's a great actor. Yeah. Um, so they finally find Section 16, which, mm-hmm. nicely enough, is labeled Section 16. <laughs> Um, and uh, they blow the door. We go in. They find a little suit. Pepper says, I thought it would be bigger. It's <laughs> a great little plant and setup. Yeah. Uh, Tony's flying to get there. We find out that this suit only has 18% power mm-hmm. or something, which is, again, another great little plant. Yeah. It's really well set up. And that's when Ebediah attacks. Yes. And he is great in the suit. His voice mm-hmm. is great. The oh, suit God. is really fucking scary. Yeah. And just wipes out everyone. Uh, except Colson and Pepper, who escapes, mm-hmm. um, and she's on, on the phone with Tony, mm-hmm. and Tony's on his way, um, and of course, just at the last possible moment, flies in because this is the kind of movie we're in, uh, which is great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like it's, it's funny. There, there's this. I think um, William Goldman, the screenwriter, mm-hmm. uh, wrote a, a list of all the movie cliches. Oh, um, it, like. Uh, I show up and immediately find a parking place right in front of the place I'm going to go. <laughs> yeah, right. I turn on the news, which we saw in here, and of course there's a story that directly pertains to my life on the news. I go to pay someone, I always have the right change. <laughs> you know. And the, and what he said is about these things, and one of them is, we talked about like with Armageddon, is the the bomb is counting down, and we always you know, yeah. stop the bomb at the last possible second. Right. We always arrive at the last possible second. Tony's falling down to earth, and he saves himself at the last mm-hmm. possible second. And, the, and what William Goldman says is that the reason the cliches are there is because they work yeah because you don't want him to save himself 500 feet above the ground because that's not exciting exactly and you don't want to watch tom cruise driving around looking for parking (laughs) or someone turn on the news and watch 20 minutes of news before the story comes up that pertains to them these are movies you know exactly that's why they're here and the cliches only stand out when they don't work right yeah yeah when, when, well, and this is, it goes back to what we were saying before. If all the human story stuff is working, yeah. we'll accept the cliche. Exactly. If all that stuff is terrible, all we see are the cliches. Yeah. yeah. Good point. Um, okay. Um, and now we're into our big fight. Yeah. And it is a, a big 
Rock'em Sock'em Robot fight. It really is. <laughs> yeah. It's so awesome. Yeah. yeah. I think you're right. Rock'em Sock'em. Mm-hmm. It's exactly the great comparison. Yeah. There's the great moment with the car yeah. where, where he picks it up as a weapon and then Tony knocks him out with his repulsor beams and then saves the car, but then they drive over him because <laughs> the mom is just so freaked out. It's a good sequence. That's what people say. Oh, there are a lot of great villains in Marvel movies. I like Obadiah Stane and I believe him as a villain and I like when he... Uh, uh, Puts on the big suit and everything like that. I love it. I think he's a great one movie villain. You know oh I mean? right, you wouldn't want him to be a villain for multiple movies. Probably not. It would get. You think it would get old? I yeah. I mean, I like him. I mean, I don't know. I, I yeah. I'm asking you. No, no. I, I I'm saying I don't actually have an answer. Yeah. Um. I I don't know that he doesn't seem to have a ton of depth, but he's okay. a good villain. Okay. Um. It's interesting. Like if you look at the way, and this is very much a Stanley. One of the things he was really good at. Is coming up with a villain that connected to the person yeah. in a personal way. So Magneto and Professor X, yes. Reed Richards and Doctor Doom. Yeah. You know that that there's uh, that, and those are really the best ones that mm-hmm. really really work for characters. Well, and this one might this one this might be a good example, of right? Well, because you also you have that struggle constantly of redemption and who else knows you best, right? Who else can you know know exactly how to mess with you best than someone who's known you for a long time? But you don't always go after them like hundred percent, or don't always destroy them hundred percent because you always think they can be redeemed because they were your friends at one point. Yeah, it's funny. I, I hadn't thought about it until you brought it up, but now I'm kind of thinking about it. Is this guy is a father figure for mm-hmm. Tony, and mm-hmm. is but I don't think I don't think the movie does a lot with that. You know no, what I mean? No, but there's uh, there's enough for me. Like the fact that even in the battle when he keeps calling him Tony, the way he calls him Tony, the way he says Tony, it's so like you're still a child. You're still my child in a way, and I and I love that. And, you know what it is? Is he has no? And, and, and I don't. Want, this is not a criticism yeah. of the movie. It's just something I'm thinking about because you brought it up. Mm-hmm. But with Magneto and Professor X. They love each other on yeah. a certain level. Yeah, you know what I mean. They do. They're brothers. Yeah, and, in a way. And they are. They're. They have different philosophies, mm-hmm. and that brings them into conflict mm-hmm. with each other. Ebediah, the sense we get in this film is that he never loved Tony. He actually mm-hmm. never actually cared about him. Right. You get the feeling that he'd always just use Tony for, and he liked when Tony disappeared because yeah. he could he could well, come in power. He wanted him killed. Right. Yeah. He's always and so that 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 had it been like this was a genuine right. mentor mentee relationship with real feelings right then i think we could have which it could have been yeah. um then we could have then i'd say he would be more than a one movie villain. Yeah, yeah, yeah i guess that's sort that's of a what great my point thoughts on. yeah um so we can throw a bus the suit is running out of power yeah. we're we're flying and robert Downey jr has the brilliant idea which is which we all know what it's hap- what's happening because yeah. we, we saw the plant flying higher 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 he's trying to get to ice up i you know uh, Eva Dice, my suit's so much more advanced, and I love. Oh, how'd you solve the icing problem? <laughs> Click. It's uh, great. It's great. Yeah. Unfortunately, Tony's suit is also basically out of power. Yeah. So he's going down too. Barely manages to soft land, mm-hmm. and uh, we think maybe we're good. Yeah. We're not good. No. No. So Ebedai comes back. He's just kicking the shit out of Tony because really he's got man. no power left in the suit. Right. I could go into Newton's laws of uh, motion and why the suit actually is not going to protect Tony, and this doesn't make any sense, but I won't go into it. 
Um, and Tony yes. comes up the plan like again. Gwyneth has got to go save me. She's going to have to make this reactor go critical yeah. and get. And he's going to mo- maneuver Ebadia on top of it. Mm-hmm. And in the very end, going like, no, the only way to do this is for me to sacrifice myself. Mm-hmm. And Gwyneth figures out what all those controls are, which I guess she knows how to do. Well, she's a smart woman. She's very smart. And she she realizes too this is going to kill Tony. And she hits the thing. The reactor goes off. There's a huge blast that shoots up. Yeah. I th- why doesn't Tony die? Uh, because we have to have do more movies with him. Ah, oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> it, see, it, see, it seems like I don't quite understand. Okay. He kind of gets knocked out of the way. He does. Yeah. Okay. So he doesn't get the full brunt of the blast. Yeah. Um, and that's it for Ebediah falls oh. into the reactor and bye-bye Jeff Bridges. Right. But he doesn't, I think he dies as his villain should die. Still oh, yeah. angry to the end. Absolutely. I love it's a it. really good death. He's not whiny or anything, no. Time to have another press conference. I guess so. Yeah. Coulson has worked up a perfectly good alibi for Tony. Mm-hmm. We have a really nice scene with yeah. Pepper and Tony. Yep. Where he kind of says, remember that night? And we hear her version of that night. Yeah. Are you talking about the night that we danced and went up on the roof and and then you went downstairs to get me a drink and you left me there by myself? Is that the night you're talking about? Mm-hmm. And we forget because we got caught up with... Because we're in Tony's story. Yeah, the whole Tony story, right? Exactly. We know exactly what he did and mm-hmm. why he did it. And mm-hmm. we weren't thinking about Pepper just like he wasn't thinking about Pepper. Exactly. Tony gets up for the press conference, kind of stumbles around. I, I'm just not the, the hero type, clearly, with this uh, laundry list of character defects, all the mistakes I've made, largely public. And then finally... The truth is... I am Iron Man. Boom! End yeah. of movie. I loved that when I yep. saw it in the theater. Yep. I was like, yes! Yeah, that moment is so great. And yeah. so, and particularly for people who don't know anything about the character and art, they all know comical characters, superheroes have secret identities. Yep. And so that moment, I think, for the non-Iron Man fan is great, too. Like, oh my God, what does that mean? Yeah. That's what's so interesting, Steve. I can't talk too much about Spider-Man Homecoming, so I don't want to ruin it or spoil it for you right. or for anyone who's listening, but go see it. No, I want to. There are shades of this movie in that movie. As you know, there's been stuff going on in my life that has made yes. going to see movies not so easy. Absolutely. absolutely. Uh, but but this week, I think I'll be able to go see you it. You should, and yeah. maybe even take care of because it, it's a fun movie. Oh, yeah, she wants to see it, too. Great. Okay. Do you think my kid can see it? Yes. Yes. Yes, I think your kid can see it. Um, there's nothing that I can recall that's overtly, like, terribly scary. Yeah. Because uh, it's a high school kid's story. Okay. So, yeah. All right, good to know. One more thing we have to talk about. Sure. Which, if we didn't stay for the credits, we might never have seen. Right. Which is, there's the little clip at the end of the credits <laughs> where we meet uh, Nick Fury, yeah. agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., and he mentions the Avengers Initiative. Who the hell are you? Nick Fury, director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. That's right. And this is where you know that Marvel Studios is, is pointing, they are pointing to the bleachers. Yeah. They're saying, we are not stopping. Mm-hmm. Um, and f- and this, from this point forward, you have to stay till the end of fucking movies. Yes. And unless you check the internet to see whether or not there was something to stay for, like, is there going to be a thing? Yeah. Is there going to be a thing? Right. Yeah. Which I think Wonder Woman got away with because it yeah. was such a good movie already without needing that kind of stuff. Yep. But yeah, it's great. It's a beginning. And there, I think there's been a thing where if you watch the last Hulk movie with Ed Norton that you can see 
Captain America in the ice. Like apparently right. he runs over or they fly over and you yep. see a figure in the ice and supposedly Captain America. So yeah, this is the beginning of the whole Avengers thing. Yeah. You know, we always talk at the beginning of the show that we're going to talk about the influence of the film mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there are few movies more influential than this because yep. this is the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. And that this idea... So it used to be that the studios were aiming to have a franchise. You know, since Star Wars and things like Die Hard and yep. all this, like, we want a movie where we can do sequels. Yep. That is not what they're aiming for anymore. Mm-hmm. Now the ultimate prize is to have a universe. Yeah. And this idea has driven literally billions of dollars to be spent trying to replicate which i think there are only two of in my opinion which mm-hmm. is which is star wars and marvel wow yeah. you know those are the two really this is a universe that yep. we're going to make all sorts of properties out and 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 marvel is huge mm-hmm. i mean when i was a kid or even in high school and college and even in grad school we dreamt of the idea that's that the world the whole world would know about these great characters mm-hmm. that we loved mm-hmm. and we kind of knew that it would never really happen and now it's happening. Yeah, what's you know? amazing about Marvel, Steve, is that they've taken these kind of lesser-known characters. They've done this without Spider-Man. They yep. did this without Spider-Man. They've done Thor. And without X-Men. And without X-Men. They've done Thor. They've done uh, Iron Man. They've done Guardians of the Galaxy. They've done Doctor Strange, Ant-Man. These are the smaller characters. And they've made them... And the Avengers, obviously. They, made them, they brought them all to life and really made it work. Well, and one of the things that's so brilliant about Marvel is they're not trying to replicate the same movie. Mm-hmm. Is that Thor has a different style than Iron Man. And then you go to Guardians of the Galaxy... Mm-hmm. It's just a completely different thing. And right. all, though Deadpool's not part of this group because it's in the... Right. But it's also like the the willingness to not do the same thing. And yeah. if you look at the Netflix shows, which are super dark... Absolutely. They're going, no, no, we're... A Marvel story is not one genre. Yeah. We actually can tell really, really different kinds of things, yep. which is what you saw particularly post-Dark Knight yeah. with comic books, yep. is that we can have Sandman and all this stuff. Yes, absolutely. Right. So what are your final thoughts on oh. Iron Man? Well, here's the deal. Uh, because it's the week of Comic-Con, even more so, just high, just connected to this movie. And I'm so happy we broke the rule for this movie. I think it's a good movie to break it with because it, it led to so many things afterwards. But the movie itself, people sometimes forget, the movie itself is fantastic. And I enjoy the uh, character development. I enjoy the writing. I enjoy the connection of the characters to each other. I enjoy the story. And yeah, there are some cop-outs in certain moments, but it's never enough to take away from the overall magic of the movie. And that's what I think this movie is. More than anything else, it's magic. And it's because... Robert Downey Jr. is such a fantastic Tony Stark, an incredible Iron Man, and you naturally gravitate to this guy because for all his hubris and everything else, he has charm, he has vulnerability, he has an authentic heart inside of himself, and it's discovering himself. The whole movie is him discovering who he really is because he'd been using these other ways of being the smart alecky, you know, drinking, having sex with these women, doing whatever, to kind of not be real. And he had to be woken up to see what was actually going on in his world. And you see this throughout the movie in his friendships, in his relationship to Obadiah and how it changes. And then ultimately in the end, I think what's fantastic about the movie is it's a great time. It's just a great time for two hours and five minutes. So I've often mentioned, uh, this idea of great movies that ruined Hollywood. <laughs> yes, you do. You know, and talked about Star Wars and yeah. Die Hard and Silence of the Lambs and, <laughs> and these movies that are so iconic and so powerful that Hollywood has changed and spent so much time and money trying to replicate those things. Yeah. And, and created really a lot of not so good movies. Okay. I'm not putting this on this list. 
because I don't actually think it's a great movie. Wow, what? I think it's a good movie. Wow. That is elevated by a great performance. Interesting. Yeah, I think if you took Robert Downey Jr. out mm-hmm. and you put in a solid good actor, sure. This is a B movie. Okay. I don't mean a B movie like a B like a genre. I right. mean like like it's great. It's kind of it's a B. It's fine. It's mm-hmm. good. Robert Downey Jr. takes this up so far yeah. that it gets up into for me it's like an A minus. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's a great movie. I really like it. It's really fun. Mm-hmm. But in terms of importance, this movie is as important a film as has come up in the last decade. Agreed. And that's why I'm, that's why I was really eager to do it and to do it for Comic Con. Yeah. Um, it's definitely worth talking about. And what I think too is that this is the beginning. Yeah. And we're going to get better and better films out of the Marvel Cinematic U- Universe from this point forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we think about Iron Man. Of course, we always like to hear what you think. You can visit us on Facebook at The Cinephile, C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, on YouTube, where we'd love to get your comments, and on iTunes, where we want to get your reviews. And we've launched our Patreon page. We've been overwhelmed by the support you've all shown. You can go to patreon.com slash The Cinephiles and uh, and pledge your support. We've got a lot of nice offers coming Mm -hmm. in there. We're going to do movies that are suggested from people. We have new audio clips. In fact, I'm going to post one today as we're recording that. Great. This. Um, and uh, as always, you can reach me at SR Morris. John, where can they reach you? You can always reach me at The Roca Says, R-O-C-H-A, on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, Collider Movie Talk, 10 a.m. every Friday. Uh, uh, Thrones Talk on uh, Sundays now and Mondays for Game of Thrones uh, for the rest of the season. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, we're doing that. Um, and then, uh, of course, the Outlaw Nation podcast on the SK Plus podcast channel. And by the time you hear this episode... The Top 10 Show will have come out. First episode dropped on Tuesday. We are back. Matt Nost and I are back on the SK Plus podcast channel. As we were meant to be, two dudes talking movies, shooting the shit about our lives. Yes, can't wait for that. And there's one more thing I want to do that I haven't done in a really long time, maybe not for real since our very first episode, oh. so I want to plug my own movie. Yes, please. Yes, so so uh, we've heard me talk about it, but The Assistance, which stars Joe Montana, Jane Seymour, and Stacey Keach, is a story of a bunch of young Hollywood assistants who try to con their own movie into existence, right. and uh, all sorts of bad stuff happens <laughs> to them. Um, and I'd love you to check it out. Uh, it's available on iTunes. You can rent it there. Since so many people have been so great in supporting the show, I'd love to hear what you think of the assistance. I'm not saying it's worthy of being a cinephile, but it's a movie I'm really proud of it. Fair enough. All right, so that's it for this week. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.